1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. EarthPack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Yeah. Um, Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky Podcast. Yeah. Our guest this week is a former pro surfer that probably spent more time in the water surfing Baja than in California. This is true. Known for chasing big swells, packing big barrels, Baja Malibu PMX, some secret spots. We'll have to find out, but this guy charges. Co-founder of an iconic 90s brand, Pirate Surf. That's huge. One of our favorites. Right? Yes. Yes. He's been involved in the surf industry for over 35 years, specializing in private label, custom screen printing, embellishments, everything tech style. Tech style. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah, a lot going For on. For all big brands and even major retail chains. He's a true waterman and he loves the ocean and it totally makes sense that he's focused all of his energy and his work and all of his time for recycled and recycled upcycle, repurposing fabrics. I don't know what I'm talking about, but we're going to get all geeky on, on textiles and clothing. And changing the way textiles are made, producing and supporting the environment while protection or protecting a healthy future. This guy's got it going on. I like your. Yeah. We welcome Mark McNugget. Yeah, there you go. McNaught. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's yeah. called Sea Oceans. That's sea, correct. Yeah. Sea Oceans. And man, that's a tongue twister because you got like recycle, upcycle, upcycle repurpose. Repurpose. You name it. <laughs> it's almost like being healthy, fit, and then you think about it. How do I become healthy? fit and still do recycling and still be able to be like forward thinking and it all kind of really spins around it as we've all been so bad at doing things that are best for our environment and i kind of kind of looked at it as how do i do something And, and and what we did is when i was a kid no one really made sense of this and as i became older in life i realized that there is a passion 
And the passion really comes around from all my years of being close to the ocean. Yeah. And that's what made more sense. But I've never been the advocate to go out there and like hug it, hug that person that wants to go and make a bunch of money or that they want to say, hey, I know how to like save the ocean or I have to go sweep the ocean. Yeah. We looked at it as a way to, as, yeah. as a, our group, was to do something that would be, one, environmentally correct, but not boost about it. Really, yeah. realistically, picking different names and throwing verbs and all that fun stuff out there. It's just a position. What I wanted to do is create a position that we could build products that were innovative, yeah. but also something that would be life-lasting that'll help bring more stuff away from our landfills and take it away from our oceans. So we figured out ways to make a sea ocean actual fiber and then blend that as our recycled fiber with recycled repurposed cotton so we could have a longer staple length and do something that was more, again, longer lasting and environmentally correct. Wow. So rad. Did so, you practice that, bro? Yeah. No. You've never said that. You've never said that. No. Yeah. All right, we're sold. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I know. You know, if I could get in front of cool retailers, it would wake up and do something that's different than the same, oh, same, same. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's sure. the hardest part. Yeah. And Well, let's talk so, about surfing and how you found okay. surfing. Yeah. Uh, this is really funny because... Um, I, at a very young age, lived on the ocean in Encinitas, right on the edge of the ocean in Encinitas, right there at Moonlight Beach. And my grandparents actually raised me, so they gave me a lot of uh, insight. They're like, hey, if you do your academics, you can still play. I'm like, I don't know what academics are. What does that mean? I go, I got a skateboard, which yeah. was back then, it was like a black knight with like clay wheels and real ball bearings. Yeah, so, so if nice. you ever hit a, like an uneven surface, you would scrape your knees. Yeah. That went to the side really quick. I'm like, that's not going to work because then learning how to surf at the age eight, any little nicks you have on your body, they would be stung yeah. and they would continue to grow yeah. and become craters. Yeah. You never heal. And, yeah. and, and being that close Salt to the water ocean. just keeps opening it up. Yeah. yeah. And same with rubbing your knees. And, and, it's, and it's on all the spots that the skin bends. bends. Your knees yeah. and exactly. your elbows. So yeah. it's like, just, well, look at that crater. It's so true. <laughs> so I learned quickly that skateboarding was great for a lot of the athletes that were in our hometown yeah they were great at it yeah and they didn't really have pads back then so this is talking like early 73 74 75 and i'm like okay i want to just ride the ocean and enjoy it so i didn't know how to do it but buttons and another cool cat that made bane become something bane is a really famous brand of making yeah. fins and they used to make these flexi boards that would put so I got a job there at the age 13, wow. which really shouldn't be working, but I would go up for a couple hours and I would put skateboards together in their factory when Buttons and um, Jack Jensen were grinding and making all the layups for making real fiberglass fins. Damn. Not Buttons, the Buttons. Not buttons. the real Buttons from Hawaii. Okay. No, this is another nickname guy from um, uh, Encinitas. Okay. So I learned quickly that this yeah. is really a cool hobby. It's turned into like a cool sport. They're making skateboards. They're doing fins. Yeah. I go, guys, please, you know, here I am. I'm at seven, yeah. eight years old. And they taught me how to surf by drawing a longboard in the sand. So they traced the longboard and they made like a gutter all the way around it. And, they, and I'm like, what are you doing? And so the center looked like a surfboard. They go, go lay in the hot sand. I'm like, it's a little hot. They go, do push-ups there. So okay. put your hands in a gutter and do push-ups and do a bunch of them. Over and over and over. And I'm like, okay, now what? And they go, take your hands and push straight, turn, go right to your feet. Over and over and over. That's how they taught you how to That's surf. That's how they taught me to surf. And then they go, okay, here's a board. Go out. 
and do that. And go out and do that same feeling and reproduce it over and over in your mind and do it every time in the whitewater. So this is at eight years this old? This was at eight years old. Okay. Wow. And back then, that was really young for us because yeah. They, yeah. You know, a lot of the guys were carrying logs around still in the early 70s. And there was really no progression. We just had a single fin. Yeah. But that's what they did. They made the fins that went and were distributed through the Bain Company up yeah. there in Encinitas. And as that time evolved, I became like super like attached to that. I'm like, Mom, I need a board. You know, Mom, here's no more summer. It's getting cold. I need a wetsuit. So at that time, I didn't know where to get a wetsuit and how to get a surfboard. So, you know, you'd go to like a dive shop. The dive shop, you'd buy like a long john with a beaver tail yeah. and, and try to t- put two suits together just so you could stay warm. Was there no surf shops back then? Or? There, there was Hanson's. Hanson's. Hanson's okay. and then there was Anstia Surfboards. So those right. were the two cool ones. But, you know, at that time, I didn't have the money. Yeah. And I didn't. You were eight. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't ask for money. So I would like make a quarter to like mow the lawns. Did they even have kids suits or you had to go with like a women's? I had. No, they didn't have women's. They did. I didn't know. Oh, okay. I had to go you... with like whatever suit I could get. And then I cut the legs mm. and made it shorter and the rise was way too long. So yeah. nothing fit. But yeah. I have proof because my back's got two scars from where in that in that year, in those years, they had wetsuits with no rubber gasket to protect you for the back zip. So the two pods at the bottom where the zipper poles come together, it just like created craters in my lower back. And as I got older, these things growed further apart. So my wife to this day laughs and she goes, there's certain girlfriends that are like, I swear you had liposuction. I'm like, I can never have liposuction. Yeah, I, I, I don't have enough It's a body for fat. tramps down. Yeah. Come on. So <laughs> it's just kind of a funny thing how it all progressed. But as I was young and growing older, I'm like, man, this is really cool. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm hoping someone can make a wetsuit. And that's how I met, which comes into a position where a wetsuit company came in and it's called Falcon. Falcon, Falcon Wetsuits. Like yeah. a... A mom and pop that created, they buy their own rubber from Japan. They brought it over here. They laid it on the table. And I go, hey, I need a job. Can I just sweep your floor? And so what I ended up doing was cleaning all their their waste on the floor. And I took and drew a little spring suit, one panel, one panel. And I glued them together and I sold them at the uh, junior high school. What? And made money doing that to buy candy. And then I turned yeah. around and sell the candy for more profit. So just like a... A little tiny wetsuit. Miniature Miniature okay. short. I have one somewhere. I could have brought it. But the funny thing is, is it worked. It yeah. kind of got me involved with them. And then they started making me. Is that before Bain? That was right during Bain times. Okay. So I went there and I got the deal to where they were helping me and then helping me work for a little bit. So I was making, you know, skate, skate over there, yeah. ride a bike over. They made bitchin' wetsuits for divers. But then they're like, I need one for surfing. And they knew that I loved the, the ocean and the surf. So they made me custom spring suits, long sleeve, short sleeve. Falcon. And then. Falcon full suits. So wow. I have pictures that were first published in Surfer Magazine by Warren Bolster that were published in a Falcon wetsuit. Wow. So it's, and it's got like a V in the neck and then that's what evolved into victory wetsuits where I got the V neck and the chevron stripes. Wow. So it translated then, at that time, I needed boards and the boards I could only get were huge scooped up noses, big dome decks, yeah. down rails, Single fins. They paddled really well. And if you go to take off on a white water wave, it wasn't a problem. But when you started taking off on green water and you didn't know what you were doing, it would kind of scoop yourself down in the bottom and you could stand up and trim until I figured out how to like actually take off on an angle to keep yeah. from purling, right? Did, did you <laughs> learn how to surf with that technique that those guys showed you? Yeah. Believe That's it or not. so trippy. It, it was the... And I, I kind of use that as an inspiration yeah. to share with my kids. 
And then now I'm hoping my grandkids, I can share that same thing. I try to tell other kids at Stone Steps and Encinitas, Moonlight Beach, certain things to do. And most of the time I'll just lay down a surfboard. Yeah. And a lot of them are like, okay, they lay down a surfboard. Then they want to lay on the surfboard and do that on a foamy. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. yeah. But at that time, it was more like, hey, they traced it and we did a gutter around it. It's like you could feel it like a moat full of water. Yeah. But it became to where my arms were lower and I was pushing up and doing push-ups. And then that's when they just said, do push-ups to your feet, turn. And within moments, I was like, okay. So I never have a problem with dragging my knee yeah. or having an issue where you're lazy getting up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still see that in the surf schools today. Like they'll do the, the dry, the dry the, land and yeah. stuff. But yeah. a lot, if you don't skateboard or snowboard or whatever, like you... How do you know which way to jump up? It's just natural. So it's like, yeah, you jump up goofy or you jump up regular. I don't, you know, yeah. most people you ask them, they don't know. They're like, yeah. oh, what do you mean? Left foot forward, right foot yeah. forward. So what's goofy, what's natural? Yeah, that's right? what I mean. Yeah. We all know it as surfers or, right. or you know, board riders. I mean, you're going left or I'm going right. Goofy yeah. or regular. Yeah. But it's knowing which way that you felt comfortable, like turning your body and your hips for what you want to do. I happen to just want to rotate and be facing yeah. the right of a wave, which is yeah. regular foot. So luckily you live by the ocean. And was there other kids your age that were getting into surfing too, or was it? They were about four to five years older than me, and they had already kind of were picking it up, but they were skateboarders. Yeah. One of them is Eddie Katz. Nice. Eddie Katz is from the same era of like Tony Hawk, um, Peralta. I mean, I yeah. can name drop a lot of like. There's a couple more cool guys. That yeah, because there's a there's a lot of great skaters surf scene for, in, in surf scene in Encinitas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's some really great moments of history yeah. that has catapulted those certain athletes to the limelight of them being able to uh, use their talents and then be able to go out and be great apostles and share their technique yeah. for the industry and grow it. Yeah. And that brings me back to Eddie because Eddie, as I grew up with him, he was a tough kid to me when I was a little kid <laughs> because he was really good at skateboarding. He could do nose wheelies. He could do tail wheelies. And he was part of the Logan Earth Ski Movement. Yeah. And that time, in the early 70s, we had a Carlsbad skate park. And that skate park was like Delacram. That was the thing to have back then with roll-ins. And it was nothing like the Del Mar Skate Ranch that came in the early 80s. But I'm, I was never really a skateboarder. I hated falling on concrete. And yeah. it brings me back to when you get a like a tear of your skin. Yeah. I think about it as, oh, God, it's going to take forever to heal. And it'll keep me... As much as I don't... I don't want to be out of the water. Yeah. So... I didn't want to have that. I didn't really push it. I just yeah. enjoyed it for transportation. Yeah. So, that was so, so funny because like <laughs> it was a means of transportation. It wasn't like, oh, oh yeah. I'm going to go and do tricks. You know, we kind of street surf and do all of that. Yeah, we like, go by a bush and think we're getting better. But when the, yeah. all, when the ollie came around, it's like, holy smokes, I don't have to like stop and try to Jump like, over I can curb. just go over every yeah. curb, like yeah. keep continuing yeah. on. That was like the hugest milestone. You couldn't do that with the... The board. No. When we had clay wheels, it was like you catch any little rock, it was just boom, and you just slide down the street and get hurt. And I'm like, and there was no kicktail really. We had flat decks. Yeah, yeah. They didn't create the kicktail. I think if we even ask any of these guys, I think it was '76 when they got the first kicktail, and it was like mahogany boards, and they put another wedge part on top. Put a block on it, and then they're like, well, we need some sort of traction because they didn't have traction back then until they came up with grip tape. And that was well after the fact. So for several, I think four or five, six years, we didn't. Yeah. It was smooth decks. Yeah. And and then uh, we'd take hot glue and put 
um, sandpaper on, mm. and that would give us some sort of traction. Yeah. Or we'd skate around barefoot, and I was never good at barefoot skating. Like, <laughs> yeah. There goes the toes. No. I come home with bloody toes. I'm like, this is not cool. Yeah, the skateboard and the surfboard like had this short period where it just progressed so much with really? like yeah. you know the, the outlines of the you know going to urethane wheels and yep. the kick tail and the, you know road rider wheels tracker trucks yeah. became really popular and yeah and then, and then it became a, a more of a the the urethane became yeah. a better rolling uh board yeah. i mean actually wheel for Smoother, the boards and, yeah and it could absorb some of that shock and that's when the skate park kind of evolved too so you just got way smoother faster cool transitions through the um, concrete. Yeah. And then that's what really what got me going is after doing all that and having fun with those kids, I was introduced to a guy named um, Rod at Agua Surfboards. And he made me my first surfboard um, that I had won in a, on a crummy board at a um, junior high event in Lucadia at uh, Grand Agua View. Surfboards. Agua, A-G-U-A. Okay. Yeah. He just passed away. He's mm. such a cool cat. Yeah. But he's very well known and liked in Encinitas and he lived in Cabo for And he had a like a He had a real shop. surf okay. shop, a real core surf shop. He made all his own boards. He brought in all the right wetsuits, he brought in all the right decks. Right. He was like a local shop that was about four blocks down the street from Encinitas Surfboards, which was the other core one. Yeah. And then there'd be another one way down in Lucadia surf shop. But yeah, the eighties it just started popping up like you and know. then 90s are everywhere. Like yeah. every block, and everyone wanted to be in the surf industry. Is Encinitas Surf Shop or Surfboards, has that been there it's, in that location? It's, yeah, the since, whole time? since 71, I think, when they opened. Crazy. Yeah. It was funny, it's because when I, I, um, I wanted the urethane wheel so bad, and I wanted to clean John Keyes' uh, shaping rooms that he had in the back of the shop, I thought, <coughs> how can I earn money? So I wanted to sweep and clean all the yeah. foam dust up. But I could never get enough, so one day I stole bearings from the shop so I could fill my new wheels to get on my new deck. And, and, and then I get home, and Mark Adams gets on the phone and calls my house because he spoke to my grandma and goes, is Mark there? And she goes, yeah, he's here. He's putting his new skateboard together. Thank you. And he goes, yeah, he didn't pay for those. <gasps> so I was like, got I got caught. And I learned at a very young age of 11 years old or 12 years old that yeah. you don't do that. Yeah. And that was quite humbling. So yeah. I ended up cleaning the shaving room for quite a few weeks, yeah. uh, knowing for free, for free, yeah. yeah, to pay for the bearings that I already plugged in the wheel, so I could get transportation all around town. Yeah, um, and, and at that time, that was when Lapa Loma was super cool, and they had lay down seats, so you could have like four people laying down, and you'd have a couple seats, and it could lay down, and we'd skate from moonlight just around the tennis courts and up the little hill to go to Lapa Loma, which yeah. is still to this day. They've changed the interior a bit, and it still has the upper deck. But it has that same kind of vibe to where it's cool to watch surf the movie. Theater. Yeah. Surf theater. Yeah. A real surf theater. Yeah. Yeah. The acoustic, like the, the, the drapes and everything, the architect. I mean, they, they were the velvet, the crushed velvet, velvet drapes. Yeah. yeah. Like those were rad. But back in the day, they had pillows like this, like yeah. lounged around and you could, they were, a lot of the old timers would be in there just rolling doobies and smoking and drinking. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it was, you'd walk you in bottles. I can't see anything. <laughs> it was all lit. You know, yeah. it was your bottles rolling down on yeah, the, the line between the aisles. Yeah. Yeah. So then that kind of brought me to where after being with Rod for several years and getting the board. So wait, did you get sponsored by Rod? I think I was sponsored because, you know, I mean, at that time I wasn't getting paid, but I was getting a, a free board. Then I get another free board. Then well, I they, won another there, event. Yeah, so, so I got to make my own surfboard, but I made like a little 24-inch one, and I still have to this day hanging up in my garage. That's um, funny. So I, got, I made my own trophy 
because he gave me a free surfboard yeah. as a as a board. But you, you, and that's I, not a trophy because you're going to ride it. And, right, yeah. and then sell it and it's gone. So I made a small one in his shaping room and then he helped me glass it and the whole thing. And that's I was epic. really cool. So I still have that sticker. And so, I, have, I have photos of all this stuff. <laughs> you made your own trophy. Pretty much, because I got a free board, but then yeah. I wanted my own trophy so I could remember the moment. And still to this day, that was 1978. Going so. going back to, you were just borrowing boards when you first started. Yep. And they were like long boards. They were they were um, single fin. They were single fin dome decks with scooped up noses, yeah. and they were nomad boards, is what I remember, and surfer house boards hmm. that were who knows what those brands are. I mean, the names sound relative yeah. to what we're doing now but they weren't names that are like historical names like well, Don Hansen yeah. or Donald Takayama it's almost or, like backyard like, boards ba- yeah, yeah yeah the backyard boards is still like yeah pretty so, strong movement and I just couldn't I, I kept I, I was such a little guy I was like four foot two and I was like a little twig figure and I couldn't carry a full get my arm around a longboard to lug from the house through the um the field to get down to the ocean because I lived right here and across the field is the ocean. Yeah. And that was just, too, so a lot of the guys would keep them at that field house. They always yeah. smoke clubhouse. Them. Yep. So they just leave them in the weeds right there at the house. So like, you can take any board you want. I'm like, they're fucking too big. They're just too big, but they planed really well. So you could just yeah. stand up and go. But then I really wanted, I, I want to do what you're doing. I want to turn. I want to learn how to trim. Yeah. But you need a smaller board. No. Who were the local heroes you were looking up to? Do you remember? It was Jack Jensen was one of them because he was a trick master. And then Buttons is was Jack and them. They were the fin masters at Bain. So those are my guys I looked to. And then the really famous icon guy that was hard to get to was Donald Takayama. Wow. He, he was like. He's from Encinitas. Well, he's from Hawaii, but he okay. he lives seven seven blocks north of me on La Mesa Street. And one day, I I mean, I saw him. He saw me, and he looked at me, and he goes, "Hey, I'd like to make you a twin fin." I'm like, "I don't even know who you are, but I do know who you are because I could watch you surf." So I'm like, "You know who he is?" Yeah, he didn't yeah. know he was a sh- like a I didn't know he was shape. super famous in the world of making boards. Yeah. I'm like, "How old were you?" I was fourteen. Now, were you surfing well? I, I mean, I thought I was. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's a small community, small town. Donald Takayama. Everybody knows. They all know who knows. Yeah. Who's. Somebody like Donald Takayama saying, I want to make you a board. Yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I wish I would have never sold the board or gave it away because it was a twin fin that got me a, a lot of good turns. and a, I mean, to me, turns were like come off the bottom and pull up into a barrel hmm. and then be able to turn inside the barrel and be able to ride and then get slammed. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I did something. Or I'd be able to turn from the bottom and go up and be able to turn off the top yeah. and be able to make it. And that's with just two big fins and a swallowtail and a bump wing. But it had a fatter nose and it had a flat deck, but it had a paddling power to it that I could just glide right by a lot of people. And even yeah. though I'm a little guy, I had that feeling like, this board really works. Yeah. Going fast helps. So much. Yeah. So I'm like, this is really cool. How do I get more well, of these? That and, the, and it, you went from riding six fours down to what was this twin fin? Like? Uh, 410. 410. Yeah. Like that's, that's a huge difference. Huge. But it was wide enough to where it would still carry and it gave me turn and flexibility. You and I was like, it. oh, this yeah. is yeah. really cool. So 
Was he riding twin fins too? No, he was riding uh, step deck longboards. Yeah. But he had, he had just started making twin fins for a guy named, this guy, his name is like Larry Bertelman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He, he, him and Dane Killua yeah. uh, and Louis Ferreira. And, yeah, all and, the guys. All these guys that were like, like, yeah, like I look in the mags, that's all they're, they're, they're like, okay, they lean like this, they turn like that. And yeah, their arms kinda, are like this. Yeah, and you kind of take that in your head and kind of build that. Because we didn't have movies. And if we did, it was like Endless Summer yeah. or, or one that would come out. That a slow-mo like, narration, like, you know, yeah. you know, trip. Not like now where the kids can look at it over and over and over. And they're yeah. like, okay, and they can go do this, that, and that. But back then, we had to learn from still shots. Yeah. So it was like, okay, play that in your head and then remember that. And, yeah. and the whole feeling that I got from it was that the boards were... Very well known, but I didn't know that because I'm a, I was at a young age and I just yeah. was like I just want to progress. I want to know how to turn. I want to know how to how it feels to ride, and I wanted to be able to feel the wall where I could turn and run down yeah. the wall and so go um, fast. Yeah, that's all I wanted to do. So the uh, Agua surfboards was that before that was out? yeah was the first ones that gave me after like a full custom board where he made me uh, a six four. And it's funny you said that because it was a 6.4 that I won as a trophy board. Then he got me a couple more boards and he kept knocking them down and getting them smaller. And I got to like a 5.8. Then Donald's like, no, I need to make you like a 4.10. It's two inches taller than you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I was kind of like a little nervous. Yeah. I don't know. He goes, what do you want to do with them? I go, I want to turn. I really want to turn. I want to go fast down the line. Yeah. And I need something that's going to carry my lightweight, but I want to be able to paddle faster than you guys on your longboards. Now, did you see twin fins already? I didn't know that it was a twin fin. He mentioned that to me. Yeah. He said, I think you'd be good on this type of board. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, you have two fins. I go, well, I've only learned on one fin. He goes, well, you'll have one fin on the rail and you have one fin on the other on, on the other rail. And I go, what is that going to do for me? He goes, you want to go fast, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you want to turn really quick? And I go, yeah. <laughs> okay. He goes, this is going to work for you. I go, well, let me try it. He gets this board. He comes back. <laughs> Can we get one five fins on this? Oh, my <laughs> Well, how many fins can we put on a Yeah, board? it was better than one. <laughs> well, yeah, we progressed. And then after that, I'm like, well, and then somebody else came out with like this this Australian guy, you know, um, not Wayne Lynch, but the Simon. other one. Simon Anderson was at, at Bain one day and he goes, you guys ever see about three fins? And they're like, well, I don't really know about two fins. We went from one fin. Now two. And he goes, well, I got one in the center. And that was when he was working with Nectar yeah. with Gary McNabb. And I'm yeah. like, dude, this is rad. We're progressing again. And that's when Eddie Katz became like the uh, sander and he was doing all this work as in the rub out rooms for the for Donald and for Channon up on the hill of Westlake and Encinitas, which was Bain was here and then Channon had their big factory where they made all the boards for North County. Kind of like what the hub is now to this day in Oceanside where everybody makes boards for all the yeah. best brands, whether they're licensed or handmade. Yeah. Other than San Clemente being lost, the red yeah. one. So what I learned from this is Eddie's like, hey, I want you to ride my boards. I'm like, but Eddie I'm Katz? Eddie Katz, okay. yeah, K T Z, and he's the famous skateboarder that became like the, the the surfer that wanted the shape, you know. And he was good at surfing, but he had a talent for shaping. And he had been he'd rubbed out probably 500 boards, thousands of boards for the brands. And he's, I'll make you a board. And I'm like. How many fins? I was like, how many fins do I get? And he goes, I'll make you with three fins. And Donald, at, at that time, I had been with Donald for four years, and Donald hooked me up with Jim Jinx uh, from Ocean Pacific. Okay. So I met Jim Jinx, Jim Jinx Jr., Junior wow. Jinx, and, and this was 1977, 78. 
and uh, Mike Jinks. Now, all three of those are the two sons, and the son and the father is is the senior. Yeah. And he bought the brand name of Ocean Pacific from Don Hansen, which is another famous spot in Encinitas. So I'm yeah. like, I didn't know at that time. I just like, I just liked the OP, and I, right. I needed some cores, and I had a, like 23 waist, 24 waist. wasn't riding from yet. Not no, yet, no. nothing. Yeah. So I'm like, this is like the beginning. Yeah, this, this is, is super like beginning, and I'm like, okay, how do I get in? And they're like, you're in, you're in, come in. So I went into their big factory they had set up in Oceanside, down in the valley where all the surf shops are, yeah. or the surf manufacturers are. So. So rad. Real, real quick, <laughs> you were like one of the better kids in the area now. Because, I mean, you're talking about Takayama. You're talking about, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I was well ahead, I think, because in that time, if you're not in the sport, you're buying yourself a spot in the sport. And back then, you kind of had to, I think, prove that yeah. you could be something. Now, were you, was contest a, a thing? We had WSA during that time, and I could never win. I could always get second. I was always getting second. And I learned as I grew older that my nutrition was the weakest link. Mm. I would surf. I would be dehydrated. I wouldn't drink enough water. Yeah. I wouldn't eat enough. And you go straight out of the water, getting a Coke and a freaking candy bar or something. Yeah, that's or like, an orange an yeah. orange or something. Or yeah. candy bar and a Coke was my worst nightmare. But you know, that's I like, got all high. I'm like, yeah, dude, I fucking made it. I'm in the next round. I'm going to make it. And then 30 minutes later, the water's freezing. Wetsuits are really not fitting, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then you advance. And by the time I get to the finals, because they run everything in one day. Yeah. By the time I get to the top finals, four, I'd be like, six, all bl- Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a marathon. It was a full marathon. So. After doing that for four years and never winning, and I was like, I always need to get second. I have so many second place trophies that I was like, this really sucks. Who, who was winning? Different guys? Uh, well, Paul Barr used to win oh, a yeah. lot. Um, David Barr would win. John Glom. Um, there's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. some of the guys that we all know, but... I can't think of any more names that come to my mind right now. Those, those guys those would guys win, win. Yeah. and and those guys were like double my size. Okay, and they probably had better nutrition schedules, even though they didn't, you know, back then. But yeah. in my mind, I was a little stick figure, and I'm like, I need every bit of energy. By the time I get to the final after serving three or four heats for the day and making it, I I would either one I wasn't picking the right waves in the final heat mm. and or I wasn't feeling nutrition enough to, yeah. to make but, it but you surfed a lot of amateur content a lot okay yeah a lot yeah. I, I made it to where I surfed even with the big leagues and I did the the Bud Pro Tour events I did the um I didn't do the Kate and one, but I did the. Let's, let's go back to it's that. It's kind of funny because I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I wasn't the, good at contests. Because you, you kind of got sponsored by your talent, not really by your record. You know? Yeah, I became it more like, like a it. cool free surfer, is what I looked at. Like, yeah. and, I, and I'm like, how can you be pro at 15 and 16? And they're like, well, you're getting paid, aren't you? And I go, yeah, I get $300 a month from OP. And they're like, well, you're a pro. Yeah. You can't be in our events. I'm like, I can't be in WSA. You know, so, wait, how did that happen? Because when I went to ask, they needed like a, a, a boy's fit model. Mm. And my waist was a 23. And now it's reversed, a 32. So I'm like, okay, something's going on here. But I get free corduroy shorts. I'm like, yeah. this is fucking dope. OP was the, the, the bomb back then. Well, it was hand to hand. But like OP yeah. came in like right after their coattails and like kind of mimicking like, you or, know. Or what? it was more like. Hang ten was after I think. Was okay, it? Yeah, I think it was the other way around. I thought that. I, think, I don't know. You, might, you know, might be right. I could be wrong, but I know that they fit me, and I was able to get a bunch of pairs, and I got T-shirts, I got a whole outfit, yeah. and then Bertelman gave me a chance to go live with him for three months, 
In no his, way. So I got to, because of what Donald Takayama did, Donald paid for my airfare and paid for my space to be with LB. Wow. So LB. At 15? Yeah. So my grandparents were like, yeah, if you, you know, because they knew, they knew Donald and they believed in Donald that he would be like a father mentor. Yeah. We're going to embrace this. We're going to let you do this. You just got to call and check in. Back then we had rotary phones that were attached to the wall. So you had to dial the call and you could only go so far away with the phone, you know, attached to Landlines. Yep. Landline. Full real landlines. And like, I'm on an island, you know, I don't know where I'm going. We're flying an airplane over there. So the whole thing to get to Hawaii. That was my first trip. That was my first trip to Hawaii. My first trip anywhere on a plane. Yeah. And that was thanks to Donald. And uh, and then Larry Larry Bertelman. Bertelman. Yeah. Him and Dane Kailoa uh, became super good to me. And, but Larry. He was really big into doing crazy shit at that time because he was super famous. And I'm like, wow, I get to hang out with you. He's like, yeah. don't be all weird. Just enjoy the moment. I'm like, all right. Yeah, well, there's well, pictures of him driving in like Rolls yeah, Royces. And yeah, shit, I right? never seen any of that. I think that was just all studio setups. Was it? Yeah. I don't know. But I know that he was really big into motorcycles. Okay. So in his garage, he'd have every board you can imagine, all different styles. He'd got boards like the pros do now from everybody until they found the right magic board. But what he did was he goes, okay, if you're going to stay with me, we're going to surf the South Shore because it's the summer times, and you'll get waves. And I go, how am I going to get waves with all the mooks, all the horns? Yeah, like, right? They call me Holly Boy, a little white kid, white hair. I'm like, I'm, fuck, I'm never going to get any waves. He goes, don't worry about but it. But you're with those but, guys. Yeah, so here's yeah. what they do is they go, you sit on the inside of me, you paddle first, and we're going to push you. And they'd push me into him, and then no one else would go because he was introducing me to all the right people. Yeah. And I really started to love it and enjoy it more and more, and I was able to get in and do some turns and feel it. And, like, I had always learned to surf with a wetsuit because that here our water's a lot colder. Yeah. Going over yeah. there and being able to have trunks, OP was able to furnish me with product that fit, and they paid me 300 a month for four years and Bertelman was the one that helped bring that program to the jinx and say hey you need to pay this kid and help him grow he's got a future and I was like what a trip at such a young age yeah that was yeah there wasn't a lot there wasn't money then no No. the only guys that were getting money was fucking gigantic they were like four or five hundred million or something yeah I mean I I don't know at that time but but they grew to be quite quite Larry Bertelman like he was the Everyone talks about Larry Bertelman, yeah. Dan Kialoa, Jerry Lopez. Who's, who's? I mean, they were the superstars of the day. And, and the guys that were filming them was like Dan Dan Merkel. Merkel and yeah. he's still a cool legendary. You know, and then the guy that I got to be filmed with, which I was like, oh my God, I get to hang out with Warren Bolster. Yeah. And, and they'd always make jokes like, Warren's over there. And I go, where? And they're like, he's up in the palm tree getting all weird. And they're like, what is he doing in the palm tree? They're like, oh, he's trying to get coconuts. I'm like, what? How does that work? It's so but, wild. But that's not true. But they would just make up stories because they're all doing funny things. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do those funny things. I'm too young. And they, were, they wouldn't let me be near any of that. They'd get all liquored up and drink and have fun. Yeah. But they were keeping you. Uh, they kept me at arm's length. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, nope. And I'm like, I don't need any of that. But so I would just watch them all change. You yeah. Know? Like, you guys are all changing and getting goofy and being weird looking. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I learned quickly that it's probably not a good habit. Yeah, because like back then weed... Acid. They did a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. I don't know who. I, Psychedelic I, LSD. Yeah, they were they were definitely experimenting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it was available. 
So yeah. your first trip to Hawaii was a summer trip. Summer trip. Three yeah. months, you said? Three months with Larry. Nice. And I think I drove him nuts. Yeah. But what Where did I, he live? He lived, uh, instead in town, he lived out in the um, middle, like in the, between the North Shore and the South Shore, mm. out out in these track homes. He had a cool home. Milani. I don't know. Some, I can't remember, yeah. but I just remember it's a White House, a huge garage, and he had all these radical dirt bikes. So he's big into dirt bikes, wow. and he had so many, and he's like, you're going to ride that bike. I'm like, I don't know how to ride a dirt bike. He goes, don't worry, you'll follow me. And I go, why do I have to follow you? And he goes, because you little white man, like he called me White Hallie, he goes, you are going to be eating all my red soil dirt. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, I'm going to give you a helmet, and you're going to get goggles. And I have photos of me being covered because he would always be clean in his riding outfit, like yeah. like Sonny used to be, always in the front. Yeah. And he put me behind him, and, and I'd, I'd stay up with him. I'm riding like an enduro bike with no no suspension, but I could still stay up with him and still spin the tire, get it around the corners. But he would do crazy shit, but I would always be right there. And at Getting the end, freaking... I would be covered you in all the red got soil. to live with fucking Larry Bird. Yeah, it, I, and... and, and so we're still pretty... Pretty, yeah. yeah but he was super cool. He, he like... Treating me like a son, yeah, and let me eat and hang out, and he like always was made he sure married and kids. He man? had kids and he was married, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys would surf every day, pretty much. And yeah. if it wasn't good, then he's like, "Guess what we're doing?" I go, "We're going riding on." And so that was like, "Okay, let's do this. Let's try." He's it. All, we're getting we're getting some excitement today. <clears throat> yeah, and we or we'd go to skateboard around and yeah. do do his type yeah. of skateboarding, but well, he fuck, was. Did they call? A skateboard layback, a Bertelman. A Bertelman layback. So yeah. we imitate that back at home. We'd go up to a bush, and the bush would be overhanging on the street. Yeah, yeah. We'd do an LB. Yeah, we'd do an LB. I or, mean, or streets where the the on Neptune they have these longer sidewalks that roll up into a person's driveway, and the driveway would be all banks. We think yeah. we're doing a big cutback. Yeah, on an LB. You know, it's so funny because even to this day, like when I listen to Nine Club, and you know, some some guys still say Bertelman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's legendary. Legend. Legendary. Yeah. yeah, he really is. But skateboarding, you know, to, to use a, a name like Bertelman, because he did the layback freaking Bertelmans. Yeah, he's well ahead of his time, too. I so how amazing. That, yeah. that is such a crazy Were your story. parents like, you know? They were, they were cool, meaning that they knew that I wanted to do this because yeah. I loved the ocean at a very young age, and it just stuck with me. Yeah. But they wanted me to do more in the academic role. Of like, my mom wanted me, I think, to become like an attorney and be in the legal world. I'm like, I don't want to read a book. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> How many were... books do I have to read to figure out a, you know, it's hard enough to go to school and read a book for history and want to be invested in your mind to hold and maintain yeah. that historical timeline that we all grew up through, which yeah. I never did. You never did. Yeah. But our families grew up during some of those. Like my grandfather was part and got a Purple Heart in the World War II. Yeah. You know? That to them is special. Yeah. To me, I had no. But if you wanted me to read the inside of a surf magazine, yeah. front and back, or a Japanese magazine, and I happened to, you know, I was like, okay, and I want to look at the picture, I want to study it, and I want to pull out the poster and hang it up and yeah. total do what we only knew to do. Yeah. Then I was into it. And then they couldn't push me away from it. I'm like, nope, I want to be somebody. I want to do something that's cool, and I want to be in this industry. Were you, were you a good student, though? Or yeah, you just kind of I just... did what I had to, and yeah. I paid my dues. At 10th grade, I'm like, I'm done with this. Uh, I met Jack Lorraine, and he goes, hey, um, we're going to bring in a, and, and this is true. He goes, we're going to bring in a car rack from Sweden. You want to work in the warehouse and make some money? I go, what kind of money? He goes, I'll pay you at 15. I'll give you basically 60000 a year. What? And I'm like, why would I say no? What are you talking about? 
I'm at 16. And he goes, you, you, I go, I, my grandmother goes, you need to take a GED, $10 to, to graduate Santa Guida. Wow. I'm like, okay, how Wait, long is that going to take? Because I didn't want, Green? he's uh, uh, a sales, like a uh, ro- uh, famous like workout guy. Lelaine, you mean? Jack Lelaine. Jack Lelaine. In- introduced me to Jack Lorraine and Jack Lorraine it's kind of funny how they are, and I met his daughter. But what it what it came down to is Jack Lelaine and the fitness guy. Yeah, but he yeah. knew Jack Jack Lorraine, and yeah. Jack Lorraine had some ties with Thule Carax, and he was big in the nautical world where he was big with boating. And I didn't know anything about. It. I'm just like so I love he the was ocean. importing. He was the he was the first guy to import Thule Carax from Sweden. And they're just going to hire you at 60 G's, like like. Well, it didn't start like that. It started out at oh, okay. 1,600 dollars a week. Okay. To come in and work four to six hours a day and take these boxes, put them together, and put all the parts in mm-hmm. because we got all the parts from Sweden. You said 1,600 a week. Yeah. Yeah. At at basically 16 years old. So I bought my first motor, motocross bike. And I was like, wow. And my my grandpa's like, you should, you're making way too much money. You need to buy dirt. I'm like, what, what do I want to buy dirt for? He's like, yeah. you need to buy land. I'm like, yeah. nah, I want to buy a new car. Yeah. So I bought a brand, brand new BMW. You're riding, you're riding for OP, getting 300 bucks a month yeah. already. Yep. And then as soon as I got the, like, that that worked out. That was great. Yeah. And then that changed quickly. After four years, I I, I got a better offer to go ride GNS. So they were going to give me boards and they were going to give me clothes and they are going to put me in ads. I'm like, I want to be in ads. I want to be an ass. How do I do that? Wow. What do I got to do to do that? Yeah. And then that didn't last but maybe six months. No And way. then I transferred over to Sunset Surfboards and this with Ed Wright. And he made me some really good boards. He goes, I got a better fin for you. And I go, what's that? And he goes, I got four fins. I'm like, <laughs> oh, we're going to ride four fins gosh. now. Okay. So I have, I, I took Chuck Gomery, which is a really famous photographer back in my home ground. And he had a little tiny water camera. And he'd put in his hand, and he'd swim out there with me every day. We'd go out together and, until I could get shots. I go, he goes, Breakout Magazine's going to get you in the magazine. You come home with shots, you're going to be in the mags. And in Surfer Magazine that time, it was Jeff Devine that was running the thing. He goes, I'm going to print this kid. So I got centerful. I never made a cover on, on a surfer, but I got a lot of center spreads and a lot of big photos, but I never got a cover. So you went from OP for a short to term, GNS. GNS for a short period of time for three ads. And about, about six months. And then, and then from, Sunset. And then, and then Sunset. Were you uh, doing PSAAs at this time? or the, I, I didn't. Butt I, tour, whatever no, it was? I no. only did like a couple of the events and I couldn't make it very far. And I'm like, I just want to free surf and just yeah. have photos taken. I really became like, I just want to go out and do photos. Yeah. So so I gave up on the events. And I'm like, you're, like, you're never going to be anything if you don't make it. Because that, that was, was the whole push back in that era. It was like, oh, you got to do the contest. Yeah. And then you can now name all you. the young, cool surfers that had to like perform. And at that time, Machado was coming on. Slater was becoming something. And they were all young kids. And I was I'm uh, seven years older than those guys. And I'm like, I really don't want to ride in, in 20 minutes. I have to go catch so many waves and then have the horn buzzer. You know, I just, it, yeah. just, and I don't want to complain, but it wasn't me. For sure. Yeah. I just felt like this isn't me. So, so you're And now to- I wish I would have because I love all the events they have and all the locations. And you get to surf the best waves in the world with nobody but just those guys. Yeah. But Wasn't still, like that back then. No, yeah. Yeah. No. Way, way different. <laughs> Not, way different. So, <laughs> way different. I like to go to Malibu and huh. surf in this uh, Sunkiss event. I got invited to go to surf in Malibu. Yeah. I'm like, that was the first time I was able to surf Malibu with three other surfers in a four-man heat. Yeah. I just want and, to make this heat. And I, I just want to make heat so yeah. I can just keep surfing this right-hand wave and just pump all the way down the line. I was like, this is the best. And then I got second. 
like a second. And I'm like, this is it. I'm done with this game. I'm totally done with this game. I'm done. So uh, that's what I just. Okay, going back to the Thule so, racks. Yeah, like that was 1980, uh, 80, 81, 82. And and the the guy paid you sixteen hundred bucks a month. A week. A week. I mean, yeah, that's what it was. That's so fucking. That's a lot of money. Yeah, so, it, did, it, really, it, it, it really did me good because. Like, then after that, after about four years of doing that, he was like, um, Jack's like, hey, we're gonna get, we're getting offered a big job here from Nike. You want to work for Nike? And I'm like, Nike, really? The real company, Nike? He goes, yeah, we're gonna fly up there. I'm like, okay, what does it mean? He goes, just let's go. We're gonna go up there. We've been invited. We're gonna be on their team. And I show up and instead of, I didn't want it because we're gonna go on a boat and we're gonna do all this. And I, at that time, I only had, which is really a bad thing. But my boss then was Jack Lorraine's um, uh, Chris Van Dyke, which is Dick Van Dyke's son. I show up to the first time I meet these guys. Guess what shoes I'm wearing? Not Nikes. Adidas. No, I wish because I still love Adidas. But I was wearing at that time ASIC Tigers. And they looked at me and they're like, who's this kid wearing ASIC Tigers to a Nike sales meeting? My first one ever in 1982. I'm like, uh, Maybe checked in. the guy, hold, hold on. So the guy, the big guy on the stage goes, you he looked right at me. He goes, you can go back to your hotel room right now. I'm like, why? And Jack's like, you're wearing the wrong fucking shoes. <laughs> I go, I go, I don't even have any other shoes. He goes, go up to the room and grab flip flops and come back down. I'm like, Pull, can, can I? So I was so embarrassed. How, how, how did this guy, Jack Lorraine, how did he have ties with Nike? He had Is ties. He, a salesman? In, he was a sales guy okay. that had ties into the nautical industry, and Nike was looking to take. At that time, they wanted into the surf market. They didn't know. They didn't know it. That's where that comes in. They wanted into the boating world first and foremost. So we started. A, they started a whole boating collection, mm. and they spent thirty million dollars, and it just wasn't right. They basically did product to kind of take the the, you know, topsider. Yeah, they kind of reproduced the look and called it Aqua Gear, mm. and the name was kind of like at that time kind of mm, not not really working. But the product they had was good product, very wow. very innovative. So we did an Aqua Sock. So they're like, okay, can you surf in that? And I'm like, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And then the first couple of times surfing it, I would lose them. And they'd send me down sixty pairs, eighty pairs, hundreds of pairs. So everybody in Cardiff, because I had my own Cardiff house in it, Oxford Avenue. Glass windows overlooking suckouts and South Peak. So everyone would come there and we'd play ping pong in the yard. And everyone would come there and get trailer and do whatever they did. Hold on one so second. So that's the Nike starting like craziness. So with the two Lees making 1600 bucks a month, your grandpa said buy some dirt. Did you buy? I didn't buy any dirt. I, I really hurt myself. I, I still wish to this day I would have bought a lot of land. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I bought cars. You bought cars Stupidest and a motorcycle. And you hear that, kids? Yeah, hear I, that, peeps? But yeah, don't dirt. don't do not buy toys. It's yeah. a worse worthless investment. I mean, yeah. you may look good and you think you're good. Yeah, so, I, I've probably I've spent way too much money and just pissed it away. Yeah, in that field. So invest in yourself. The the invest in land. The Thule thing was huge. You well, it wasn't then. No, we we put it on the map. You put Jack it on the map. and I put it on the map. I traveled to every single whether it was a marine hardware store, a tennis shop. I mean, I named tennis because we had Nike in our bag. So I'm selling, like, Nike made a tennis shoe. And then they're like, tennis shoes? I don't know how to sell tennis shoes. They're like, we are a tennis company. We started as a running company with a waffle shoe. We now have t- So our goal was for them was for us to sell nautical shoes. Mm. They took tennis types of shoes and made nautical shoes. 
and then they made like a surf booty shoe that we could use for surfing and enjoying the ocean. So play. You, you helped develop the aqua yeah, sock. And, well, they yes, but I helped develop it by You're improving this, it. Improving by, it. By they created it and they figured out the injection mold and the top mesh. And I'm like, dude, you need a better toe box. The toe box was so narrow. And I'm like, you need to double stitch it. You need to do double ply. And I like, come up here while I'm design meetings and you can sit in on them. And so I gave him a bunch of ideas and they're like, this guy is like, who is this kid? That's kind yeah. of the feeling I got. And I learned quickly to listen to all the, the designers, the line builders, merchandisers. And it became a, a really cool passion for me. So I spent t- a little less than 10 years with Nike. Dang. So and what was your guys' sales like? We went to territory. Like what, we what, had all of Southern California. All of Southern California. And then we had all of Northern Cal. So we had we hired guys to go do Northern Cal because I'm like, I'm not driving all the way up there. And we had Las Vegas and Arizona. So we do Las Vegas, Arizona. But we started right here in San Diego and Orange County. And we opened up all the nautical stores. Like West Marine was huge for us. Yeah. Port Authority. And then we started, he goes, what about surf shops? I'm like, well, I'll go call on every single surf shop. I'll sell them car racks and I'll sell them aqua socks. And I go, and they're like, well, can we just buy a couple dozen? I go, nope. Got to buy like 96 pairs. Pre-pack. <laughs> you want dating? How many days do you want? They're like, what kind of dates do you offer? And I go, you get 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days. And every one of them, you get one point, two points, three points off if you pay in time. And it was just graphs. The way I had to just yeah. present it. And they're like, I don't want to do it. I go, then you'll never get product from us. We will never open you as a night. I'll go to the next guy. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. They call me back. I'm like, look at this hustler. Uh, if you don't do it, you don't get in. If you don't get in, you can't order those Air Jordans because that's going to be something one day. Or the Air Max. You're never going to get those. Was this top. Jack teaching you all this? Or you yeah. just, like, he was like, he, he knew. Mentor, like, he yeah, knew how I, to, like, I still to this day, and he's like 78. I love that man for giving me the intuition to yeah. have the passion and the drive to one, be a, to push my creativity, to push my scale yeah. scale of sales, and to bring all that to a fruition that could be a foundation for me and my my myself and my, my yeah. family's future. Yeah. So I learned a sh- a, a lot a, yeah. a lot of information from That's a right. cool mentor. Yeah. Because yeah. so was he a surfer? No, he was no. a nautical guy. He was all about. But how did you meet be- him? Because he had this blonde daughter that was just like <laughs> I in in school. I'm like. Wow. Who that? How, how do I get to be with you? And then I ended up, she invited me over and she had two other hot daughters. I mean, sisters. <laughs> sisters yeah. And I'm like, wow. okay, well, that one's taken. This one's younger. This one's I like. And she's got a car. She can, you know, like be cool. And it turned out and, and we clicked. Yeah. So we dated for six years. And then one day after we were doing, I'm doing very well and making good things happen. He goes, so when are you going to um, marry my daughter? I go, I'm not going to your daughter i'm only 23 now i can't get married yeah i just got legally able to drink this is not gonna work i you know and, and i didn't want to tell him at that time that the sex wasn't you know we weren't really like compatible hit, we yeah. weren't hitting it out yeah. you know and yeah i learned quickly that i think that was a turning point that either you marry my daughter and you stay with us or you kind of move along mm-hmm. So I uh, moved along, and that's when, at that time, it was it was 1989 was my 1990 was my last year at Nike. Dang! So and before, that's when we started Pirate Surf. Okay, hold on. Before so, though, this whole Nike mm-hmm. thing intrigues us. Oh, there's so much Dude, going on. It's there. wild that they were just pioneering like new divisions and categories yeah. and distribution, and we they, turned it into ACG. 
we turned in the aqua sock into a whole outdoor we like we kept saying look at the surf market is you know saltwater denim from quicksilver and they're yeah. coming out with neons and i'm like neons aren't gonna work right now this isn't where we're going the stores are buying neons on the slippers yeah. but you can't do neon you know board shorts kind of like what Massimo was doing them for you know volleyball at that time and he was killing it yeah, yeah but you can't be nike and do that so nike was really good or not nike the brand name but the yeah. individuals that were in position for these different divisional um onsets of running programs yeah they had a vision and it's like if you stroke the ego of a developer or a line builder or an artist today the right way, you grow with them. If you rub them the wrong way and you don't like their art, they kind of like shun you and they don't let you back in the door. Yeah. yeah. Same thing at a corporate level. Very touchy. Level. Yeah. yeah. Very personal. touchy. Yeah. So, very personal. Yeah. You know, so, if you don't sell my shit, dude, you ain't coming back or you don't get the you know the warm love that we're going to make sure yeah. you're part of the next collection. Door closed. Bye. So when, Weird. When but it still happens. Meeting, <laughs> that first meeting. Oh, that was the best. And they interviewed you to to help them to get to the nautical yeah and surf and i had no idea how to go out and sell the nautical sources so jack would we'd get in his little truck and we'd drive around he goes just listen and you'll learn so i did that for about four to six months but i was still working the other half of those days i was working as doing all the shipping for Thule. like we'd get all the orders with the fax machine they would come over from their new york office so everything would come to, to Sweden, would come in through a big New York hub, and then we became the main warehouse out in San Marcos on Linda Vista Way, believe it or not, I still remember that address, um, where all the semi-trucks, like the 43-foot containers, and we'd unload those all on a weekend, and then store them in the building, and we'd roll the door up, and we'd package them for UPS or motor freight, whatever the orders were that we were writing, and it just kept growing and growing. And I did that for about four to six years Damn. while I was selling so you Nike. Rep, rep rep, that I rep that and, and Nike. Nike together. And and putting stuff together. Huh? And putting it together. Like running to where it like. Yeah, doing running, everything. everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it turned out I was only going to get hired for a couple hours a day and I could surf. You know, I could always surf from six till 10. Had to be in the warehouse from 10 to 2. And then from that time, I could enjoy the, the daughter time, you know, like yeah. three o'clock till, you know, dinner and come to the house. Yeah. Which was really great. But as I became more invested in like getting nice cars and driving around and selling people, I'm like, oh, this is really, I'm making points on all my sale. I'm getting a salary. I'm, this is, yeah, you start getting like, work, yeah. workhorse. Yeah, that's all I want to do is work. I don't want to do anything. I always want to work. I became a freak for working. Yeah. So when, when Nike, you guys get hired, did they like show you, it was shoes you're selling, right? Shoes in, in some technical apparel. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned a lot. I get yeah. to a lot of things. Yeah. They wanted us as a nautical uh, sales force. So we would call on nautical source. And then as the nautical Did they thing, have one on the East Coast too? Like, they had a whole team on the East Coast and Midwest. They had it everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere there was a harbor. Everywhere there was a lake. Yeah. Anywhere there was running water. They had a force in place. They must have had at least four, four, 45 different sales agencies that had several sub reps and real reps. Mm-hmm. that were established within that field. Yeah. And that, that worked for about three years. And then they realized that... Hey, how much? Huh? They're paying everybody too much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, when you make too much, then they, they whittle you down. But in this case, what happened is we realized that here in California, we have a big surf culture. I go, you guys need to like get it together. The aqua sock's not going to last very long. We need to do like skate shoes and do something that's going to become more influential to the athletes of that type of field like surfers like well surfers don't wear shoes i go what do you mean they don't wear shoes yeah yeah we don't surf in shoes but you guys are nike you can make anything that works 
But it did take Nike. It took them a long, a long time. time. They spent to millions penetrate. of dollars yeah. pissing away money. Because even the they Aqua socks, like short lived. It, it was short lived, and it was. It kind of got clowned on. Yeah, right? it did. Yeah. Uh, so they, we did a bunch of ads, and I got them set up to run ads in like two page spreads yeah. and Breakout Magazine, over and over, inside yeah. cover out, and in the back. Was it Colin, yeah, Colin Smith. Smith? Yeah. So I'm like Colin because I always hung out with him and Rob Keith. Rob Keith is Fiverr and yeah. Colin and Brian Schmansky. I'm like, can you guys wear these? And I'm like, yeah, we'll wear them. What are we going to get for? And I go, you ain't getting anything. Maybe I'll just give you another pair. Maybe we'll get a pair of Air Jordans or maybe we'll get a pair of Air Maxes. You know, if they send me down to your right side, you can have a free pair of shoes. Yeah. But I go, Rob, you got to take pictures of them. So Rob would make money taking Rob pictures because we'd sell them back to Nike to their ad agency. And then they would build them up in ads. And then I'm like, put them in this man, put them in this. And they'd listen. Yeah. Like, and that would, help, yeah, that would and, help their other sponsors. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Body Globe would be like getting the exposure they're making. Yeah. So they all made from it, but they laughed at me because I had the dorkiest footwear. But at the same time, it grew a category for Nike to look at it as, okay, we have an in, and now we're in the surf culture. Yeah. So let's figure out how to grow that brand. But instead of becoming a surf brand, they created Aqua Gear, or the Aqua Gear brand. It didn't take off. We couldn't get good enough sales. Yeah. So we turned it in, or they did. They turned it into ACG, yeah. all conditions gear. They could have and that's lifestyle, surf, finally... and outdoor. And that's yeah. when it took off. Still to this day, it sells well. So yeah, so names ACG. everything like Aqua Gear. You know, Gear was kind of like that was a catchy like you know name yeah. for stuff. And Team Gear, yeah. LA Gear. Yeah, it was that that era. Yeah. You know, like Gear Outdoor. Oh, yeah, you know? but it wasn't. The, but it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. No. Yeah. So so you sold ACG. I didn't sell that. Okay. I <clears throat> that was my exit in nineteen ninety, basically eighty nine. When I left, so then. did you leave because of that situation? I kind of, I kind of had an ultimatum. Either I marry the daughter, mm. and then I wrote to Nike and said, "Hey, can I work for you guys direct?" And I got six months on an independent contract with Chris Van Dyke, which is Dick Van Dyke's son. And he goes, "I'll, I'll pay you under my wing. You can do some stuff with me." And that's it. It was short lived. So why is that? I I think because at that time. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which I just wanted to surf and, and ride waves. Yeah. And I was kind of burning out a little bit in sales at an early age. And I wanted you started to, early. I did. And yeah. I wanted to refine myself. So I realized, okay, I've got, I, I was doing cycling before I left for Nike. And I was able to pick up look shoes, look bindings, all these wow. different triathlete bikes, Giro helmets, Oakley sunglasses, and I was selling Nike uh, bicycling apparel at that time before I left. So I was in all the cycle shops. I was hitting all wow. the surf shops. I was on the road so much. I was doing like 12 calls a day, which is unheard of. But we didn't have a phone in our car back then. Yeah. We didn't have a phone in our hip. We had a landline and a fax machine. So every day I was up, surf early and be on the road. And I'd be making appointments from 8 o'clock all the way till 5 or 6 is getting as many as I can, and I wouldn't drive all over town. I'd drive all along the road. Like, I would have a cycle shop, nautical store, and a surf shop all within the same block. So I just carry a backpack and a travel bag, and I just go door to door. And I'd get orders at all of them because everyone loved Nike. Yeah. <laughs> so it just turned out to be the right thing to do. And Oakley was on fire, and then the other Oakley had the other neon categories were. And we were selling that through a distributor. And then the other thing was Camelback. Remember Camelback? It's like a, a straw yeah, that's still big. I put that thing on the map. I was the first guy to put it in all the bike shops back in 19, um, 1987, 88. I put that thing on the map. There's wow. so many, so many projects that I pioneered 
that I still to this day are like, these companies are huge. Yeah, where's my pay? Where's my pen? They paid well yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. So why only six months with Nike? Because uh, it wasn't um, at that time. Um, I had a deal in place, and I I basically bumped into Mike Garrett. I was selling him Nike, and Mike Garrett was running. Um, he had his own stores, or he was a buyer for the stores, and he had them at South Coast Plaza and a couple other shops. I can't even think of the name right now, but he would if he was around. Is it and, a was it a surf shop? It was a surf shop okay. in the malls. Huh. So I'd sell them Nike Aqua socks and whatever whatever I was allowed to sell them. And, 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 do you remember Mike Garrett? I do. Yeah, the big Hawaiian looking guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he owns Nalu Foods and uh, like restaurants, and he's his food's good. Yeah, yeah. very he, he good created quality. Nalu too. Yeah, and Nalu is his the the bull, the bull. Yeah, uh, all the hairy one, and he created yeah. his own line when he was working with Honolulu Surf. He did that as a side project, and he did very well with that. Yeah, yeah. but he was the guy that opened my eyes to being like, okay, you want to be really cool and be into the surf industry. So I came in, and I got I always get a smoothie when I go in to sell them at the the mall. And, and at that day, sitting at the counters, from what I remember, was Jeff Yokoyama. And I'm like, Who's that? I don't know this guy from Adam. Yoki. Yeah. Yoki. So he had a vision. Yoki had a vision that he was going to create his own brand. and and Because uh, he's already came off of... He was Maui and Sons. And Maui and Sons had already like collapsed at that time. But he was already thinking of the next. Yes, he was. And at that time... He didn't have any sales. He was working out of his Corona Del Mar garage where he had his wife and his two, one kid at that time. And he had brought over Mark Bellinger, which was the athlete that everyone loved this guy yeah. uh, from, from Maui and Sons. Mark, Mark and I clicked. I really dug that guy. He was yeah. like, dude, you're, you're good at what you do and you can get us in all these stores. I'm like, no problem. I'll make a phone call. You're in. And he's like, we want you. I'm like, I want to be with you guys. Let's go surfing. That's all yeah. I want to do. Let's go surfing. Yeah, surf and brand. Then, and then Yoki's all, well, we got to make sure you can surf. I go, who are you? Why are you asking <laughs> he me? He actually if, said Yeah, that? he kind of made me feel like I'm not important. And yeah. it still to this kind of day makes me feel like I'm not important. And I'm like, dude, I put your fucking ass on the map. You may have had a good time at Maui and Sons, but I put Pirate on the map. I put that in every single store where you couldn't even make the cool shit appear fast enough for me to sell it. So behind my back... He had a deal marked out with Booger, Bellinger, mm-hmm. to sell out after the first year and a half. And he sold out because Danny Quark's like, hey, we got to stop our momentum. We created some... Yeah. He came up with some cool ideas. Yeah. Man. We Good. had some things that were well before the cool stuff even appeared. We were making it. He was making it. With yeah, we were... ladies. We were at Servant Sport. We were both worked at Servant Sport. And yeah. like, yeah, that shit showed up and it was like... We he wrote for Quicksilver and all the Quicksilver team riders We wanted to wear Pirate. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then it Danny, was in its own Danny little special mad. section in the cage yeah. and all... <laughs> Come on, hey Robbie, Todd, whoever you know. Yeah, Robbie, Todd is a bro. Then can we can we can we get some of that stuff? And he'd, he'd be like, Yeah, come on, man, help me out. Yeah. yeah, I'll kick you a few out of the side. But it, at that time, it was like a T-shirt was a scratchy, like a Gildan, yeah. which I hate saying, but they've done well. But it was a heavy, like skateboard is what we call it. heavy, heavy shirt, block fit. It didn't even have any luxurious fit. It didn't form the fit to your body. The sleeves yeah. looked like you know darted out. But we put a we put a, 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 a woven label inside the neck. We yeah. had the little lady in the corner over there stitching away. Yeah. And then they'd be one screen print, the cow skull, you know, or the crosses. Yeah. I'm like, this thing's dope. This is going to work. Yeah. 
we got to get stickers made for surfboards. We can put them out there. Let's do a hat. Yeah. We start out with t-shirt and hats, and, and then Yoki's over there drawing in the corner, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm sketching our next design. I'm like, what next design? He's like, what do you think of this? So one day, he took all the credit, but it was me. I used to always wear a sweatshirt, like I do, and I put a flannel over my sweatshirt, and then I had a hood on it. And he's like, that's it. That's the next thing. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to do a flannel? We're gonna so you're double hood. layering. You had just your hoodie and on. And then, cool. Now yeah. I'm fucking tiny. It's still like I worked out so much I didn't eat enough. Yeah. So I wore a flannel with a hood. And he's and then he's like, he got a wild hair. And he's like, that's, that's it. That's it. That's it. And then he goes, I'm going to put a big giant button on. And we're going to put a cow skull button on. I'm like, what, cow skull? No. And then we did a pirate. What did pirates have? Jewels. Right? Yeah. So we did a jewel button. And then he did the jewel button as a shank for your, you know, your shorts. And everything he did in the shorts were crazy fabrics, like tablecloth fabrics, you yeah. know, crepes, and just crazy different weaves. Yeah. And I'm like... So you're the and, muse for the flannel with the hood. Yeah. Fucking rad. And Quicksilver ripped it off. Well, they... Yeah, if Yogi was sitting here right now, he would know that that was a fucking straw that broke our camel's back. Yeah. It killed the it killed the bull. Yeah. And he's like, I can't work here anymore. I'm fucking fed up with this shit. And I hate saying the words, but yeah. we had something rolling. And when we went to the trade show in 1990, which was ASR and where girls would run around yeah. with like nothing on, you're yeah. like, this is not it's right. Is a full party scene. You yeah. just stay up as late as you could, drink as much as you could, and then show up the next day. And if you had alcohol in your breath, you were a winner. Yeah. And if you could sit there and write, we wrote orders. Nobody writes orders these days. They like fan you and ghost yeah. you, yeah. maybe send you something. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't know. But to this day, we were well ahead of our time then. And all I wanted to do is support all the cool shops. I'm like, Shrosby, dude, you got you're the foam man. You got to make me some cool cutouts of all our stickers. So him and... There's there a, a full sticker war back then. Too. It was a gnarly sticker no, war. We gnarly. had to have the radical stickers. Yeah. And the stickers had to match our tees, had to match the hats. So those iconic looks became features that we... Then we paid this guy in Tijuana to do them, which I have in my house hanging up a huge gold frame with, with a, mat, a matador velvet paint. I kept one. I, I've had it for 38 years. I will not get rid of it. Everyone comes over and like, dude, flashback. It's yeah. a rat. So that we put Bluton Booger and I, Bellinger, we put, he's like, what do you want to do? And I go, get me six of them. I'll put them in all the big windows and I'll put black lights on them. Yes. And it was the raddest thing when you drive by. You see a black lighted like the matador or the cow skull, yeah. you know, or the iron cross. Or the so hand. different than what everybody else was we doing. We just kept changing it up. And it yeah. was us you three were, little brain children. But Yoki will take all the credit. He was a guy. But honestly, you were, you he, were Volcom before Volcom. Well, yeah. that's when Wilcock was leaving DK. And then, yeah. and he's like, you want to work for a new brand? And I go, I'm kind of happy here right now. But Danny didn't like, Danny's like, we're going to pay you this much. You can be the sales guy, you can be the designer, and you can run the whole ship, and you can work in the 1837 building on Costa Mesa. And I, but he, Danny, had already put money in behind the scene yeah. and, with Volcom, and I should have taken the deal, because that would have been the next groovy movement. Yeah. So yeah. it really resented my whole vibe with the, how they operated. And they just, but McKnight was the cool guy that like took me aside and he goes, I'm giving these guys cash. You can have a little cash if you want. They fucking they got lowballed and laughed at. He gave me a shitload of shares yeah. that I lived on for thirty years, and wow. I was like, 
Uh, with Quicksilver? Yeah, he set me up out of a private deal. But here I'm saying it, but it's the same thing. <laughs> as, I'm not going to say the numbers because he knows. He knows I know. Yeah. But I was able to raise my two daughters and have. A, I mean, I went months. It's a lot of time where I'm like, I'm just going to serve. Yeah. Whatever. But I, I worked. I worked hard. And when 1990 hit, it was like, okay, my time's up here. Um, these guys want an exit note. Danny brought me in, let me do everything I wanted. That lasted like a year. Yeah. And then I took my money. I bought a brand new Range Rover. I'm like, that's so stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. That was dumb. You drive that into the Quicksilver parking lot in Monrovia, and everyone looks at you like, Okay, you're next to be clipped. You got yeah. a nice car. You're done. So I <laughs> yeah. got, yep, that's it. I'm you out of here. keep it low key enough. Yep, I yeah. should have stayed in the old car yeah. and just like butted well, in like everyone else. Yeah. So I learned another lesson. How much does that guy make it? Yeah, he yeah he's, he's, he's off he's, the he's wagon. Done. He's done. We're done with him. So. Were you commuting from Encinitas? I, had, I was driving from Cardiff three days a week. And then I, I realized that I met a girl named Aaron. Aaron and... Uh, Erin Halligan, and she's the one I had my two baby daughters with, Bree and Chanel. And she was renting a little apartment in Costa Mesa. And she goes, Why don't you just stay here a couple days a week when you're up here working? And I'm like, Are you sure? Because her mom was living with her at that time, helping out her son, Brandon Estrada. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I think I can do this. Like, uh, why not? All right, I like yeah. it. Let's have some fun. So, when I wasn't at my house down there, I had my schoolmates down there. They were having parties, and the guy across the street worked for ABC, the news network, and he's like, Mark, you've got to stop having parties. We can't sleep. I'm having all kinds of problems. I'm like, I'll be down there. And he goes, you're not down here enough. It's becoming like a party house. I go, okay. What do you want me to do? He's like, I need you to stop the parties. They're going beyond 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm not there. How do I know that? You know? Yeah. Uh, we don't have pocket phones. You know, everything's like attached to a, an old, you know, Lamb voice on. recording yeah. machine that you'd have to go in a room and push the button to hear what you got. <laughs> so weird, you know, how everything's so evolved in hey. the technical world, right? We're leading back to... 1990. Okay. Had the Cardiff house. Yeah. And I was hooking up with a girlfriend in Costa Mesa. And Saving you a few days on the road. On the road, yeah. and uh, But the house was getting... Party. Too many parties. Clubhouse. Yeah, it became a clubhouse. So I learned quickly that uh, I either have to, one, live in Costa Mesa full-time or move back and hang out in Cardiff full-time. And at that time, Danny was like, ah, you can work for us full-time. We'll pay you a good salary. And you can do sales. You can do merchandising. You can do design. I'm like, I can do all this? Wait a minute. How much are you paying me? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, we'll give you this number. And I'm like, wow. Okay, I guess I'll take it. <laughs> if I tell you the number, it was a good number. Yeah. But he always had another strategy. He like throw you one number and he had something else and he knew he could go even higher, but he really would fuck you. <laughs> and I didn't know it, but I felt it. Yeah. Because because prior to that conversation, Wilcox like, dude, we're gonna start a new label and he kinda showed me a pencil sketch. I'm like, What 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 is that? You know, I didn't really get it. Yeah. And then I realized after the fact that I had a short term with Pirate. But that was it. We went 1990 spring. <clears throat> we were selling ASR. It was one of the last shows in San Diego. And <clears throat> Rolling Stone magazine was doing a surf culture magazine article <clears throat> around the lifestyle of what surf brands could do. But like Quicksilver was advertising in Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. they wanted to the, yeah. have that crossover with the music and the fashion world. They kind of elevated the brand. Just yet, because I think mm -hmm. 
Strider and I forget who else. That's when that's when they started advertising like details in Rolling Stone. All right. Well, I just know that there was an era where the yeah know, I remember yeah. how much they were paying for ads and it was like Jeez. it was yeah. like the entire budget of surfing or surfer for the year. But they yeah. were gambling on it. Yeah, <clears throat> and they thought it would bring in another. I don't, another metropolitan type of audience that yeah. would be yeah. mainstream and it would help fuel their bigger box buys mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it opened up where Rolling Stones was you know they were doing behind the scenes getting ready for doing some marketing and then the scout was out and she saw me with my t- uh, two daughters that were super babies Bree and Chanel in the stroller and then Kelly Slater was hanging out at that time talking and holding Bree and Kelly wasn't available to do a photo shoot in two weeks or something. So then they're like, can you? Can you do it? And I had long hair. long, And then I'm like, I'd be happy to do anything you guys want. What is it going to take? Where do we go? And they're like, well, we're going to do it in Newport Beach. And we're going to do it down by the pier. I'm like, fine. I'm kind of living up in Costa. I can I can be there what time, what, what day? Yeah, yeah, that right. sounds like a great opportunity. And they're like, what, what instrument do you play? And I go... I don't play any instrument. Oh, my God. I, I don't have any experience on how to play any instrument. I can play maybe a couple of keys on the on the piano, but that was back when I met Elton John, and he was weird, and I didn't want to be in that room any longer. So, anyways, yeah, uh, that didn't last very long. So, we get back to the beach, and they're like, you just show up, bring your girls. I'm like, okay. So, my kids were like, 13 months and 15 months. They were like super close together, which they still are, obviously. But they love the girls. So they're like, okay, hold both your girls in your arms and then stand there next to the pier with the surf in the background. It was windy. It was cold. My girls are crying and screaming. And I'm like, man. And they're in diapers only. Anyways, that after about a couple hours of shooting and time and all these cameras and everything going on, it was rad. I'm like, okay, hey. We didn't have, you know, phones with cameras. We didn't even... Back then, it was like an Instamatic or like a throwaway snap. Unless you're a real photographer, then you shot on like, you know, Fuji film, right? Or, or Kodachrome. Something good. Right. And they had all these spectacular cameras. I'm like, hey, uh, Mark... The guy's name's Mark, some famous photographer. Um, two weeks later, they get back to New York and they're like, your photo is about ready to be on the cover of Rolling Stones. What? But the editor decided not to because you don't know how to play a musical instrument. I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with being on the cover of your magazine? Why don't you guys change it up a little bit? Wow. I'm just blessed to be even in I your magazine. It, uh, I mean, can I get like 45 copies sent to me? You know, so, And sure enough, in the magazine, I got the biggest full page with my daughters hanging out with Newport Beer. And they did, did it all in a black and white. It's one of the most beautiful artsy shots what was the feature like? The what feature was what it was all about the lifestyle um, that comes from the surf industry, hmm. and I got chosen uh, to be. I mean, they chose a bunch of people to shoot, but somehow my they ended up with you. They me, and then they had they had four other pages, but they're all half pages and smaller shots, and it showed the drinking scene, going to the nightclub scene, and the party scenes, and then they'd have a couple product shots. And that was their whole thing. What a trick! I have the I have magazines still, and, and I have yeah, a we'll have to give you yeah. some cool history. Because yeah. a lot of that was pre like yeah. like DK was putting a lot of that together behind the scenes. I bet. Well, for sure, but you know, just it's not 
um, easy to find that stuff because it was pre-internet, pre-everything. It was just print, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it'd yeah. be cool to, yeah. I have it. I have yeah. it. I mean, yeah, we, I've got the cover of the mag. I got a real mag. I've got the photos. I am probably have them here on my phone because I'm so weird like that. We'll, we'll have to get them. For <laughs> I'm famous. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. You know, it was really neat. Like, yeah, I'd go to the store when it was out and you know how they'd have on newsstands all the mags. Yeah. I would open up that photo and, and just leave it. Leave and walk it away. Yeah, and then leave. That's so bad. <laughs> That's what we did back then. You yeah. Know? If you got a shot in Surfer or Surfing, <laughs> you'd open it if you're not the cover, which I never was, except for Breakout. I'm like, I'll open it up and leave my photo in all the 7-Elevens so Speaking local kids can see photos, it. Speaking of photos, surf yeah. photos, what was your first surf photo? My first surf photo was a, a subscription pullout on a little Ooh, thing. Those are good. I had a and couple of those. That was, one, maybe. That was one pullout from Surfer Magazine, and it was taken by Warren Bolster in that Falcon wetsuit with a Donald Tuck Yama twin fin doing a turn right in front of the camera off the top. Do you still have a copy I still, of that? I have a, I have a photo of it in my phone. Sick. It's all these photos I talk about are on my uh, Sea Oceans okay. uh, Instagram? Instagram page. Okay. So if you scroll way back to where I get like one like or maybe two likes, yeah. That's it? That's, that's a lot of me. And I try to share my history through that social platform because one... We'll post some of these because they're rad. I, yeah. I have a lot of great photography and I was very fortunate to have some beautiful photographer, whether it was Chuck Gomery that came in right after Warren Bolster left the scene. But Warren I got attached to because of Donald Takayama, Larry yeah. Berlman, and Dan Killo. These guys that I just named, they were very influential for Warren to make money. And when Warren was working for the mags, you got to shoot the guys. If right. you're shooting the stars, you're going to get... Print. Yeah. And if you get prints, you get paid. Yeah. So I just like, hey, I just can you take a photo of me? You know, it's gonna be offshore, it's gonna be two foot. I'll go out there, I'll try. You know, it's like those guys won't show up and shoot in two foot ways, but me being four foot seven, my board's four eleven, you know, I can I can do it. I can do this. Let's go out and catch something. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't have to be the most spectacular condition. I just had to whittle it's my like, way. Yeah. yeah. Three foot know. days overhead for you. Yeah, and, and it was offshore, it was blue sky, and it's like groomed conditions. Let's do this. Let's give it a shot. So I'm I was very fortunate to be pushy, but polite. I thought, maybe not, but I enjoyed what I was doing. You were yeah. a salesman. I was selling myself, yeah. I did a lot of selling myself. So, I still to this day, so I you're still sell. Going, you know, you, a lot of shots were down in Mex, too, you yeah. know? I mean, Rob Keith loved going 1990, down there. Uh, well, 1983 is when I started going to Mexico with Cabo, and that's Chuck Gomery. Chuck Gomery has a lot of those colorful boards that yeah. were sunset boards that were given by from that six years, him and I... We're shooting a lot in Encinitas at Stone Steps, Moonlight mm-hmm. Beach, all the cool little North County scenes where now the Cotes have like made it like the full famous. You yeah. Know, let's go from Laguna to Encinitas and let's open up a, you know, a, a cool little smoke shop, which is really a coffee shop, which then becomes like a saloon or it comes like a new drinking place. Yeah. It's changed a lot, but in that timeline, we would go to Mexico. And it was, no one really went to Mexico. A lot of the late 70s guys, the hippie kind of guys, would yeah. go down with a sleeping bag and sleep in an old VW and ride at <clears> K38. Like K38 or La Fonda or yeah, something. something. We're killing it. Mushy. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm like, um, Rob Keith's like, oh, you like to ride waves? We're going to go to Baja Malibu. Yeah. It was 1989. I'm like, all right, let's go. We get down there. It's like three to four foot, fun, no big deal. And I, I was under a contract with... Quicksilver and Danny's like, we're gonna start doing ads. I'm like, really? You're gonna do ads, huh? You got any photos? He's like, yeah, you guys are gonna stand there and make funny faces in front of the camera because they needed to run ads to get Pirate going because Spring '90 was coming up. 
So there's pictures of us. I made these rings, a pirate ring with a cow skull on the thing. And so we did a bunch of bunch of crazy photos with Bellinger and Yoki and I. And then Yoki's like, oh, I don't want to be in any. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. That's you. But we're the ones putting you on the map anyways. So then we go to Mexico. And all that time, Rob Keith was like the star at Surfer because he clicked really well with Dick, not Dick Van Dyke, but in this case, it was um, Jeff... Divine. Divine. Yeah. And that's when they were paying him a salary. And he's yeah. like, okay, pick whoever you want to take down there. So I was really close to Rob when he came from Florida. And Rob said, hey, um, I want you to always go. You have a job where you can sell anytime you want. You don't have to go into an eight to five job. You want to go every morning. I'm like, yeah, are you driving? Okay, how much amount? He was like, you know, it's like 45 minutes from our house to drive across the border. Yeah. And back then, you didn't have to have any credentials. You just drive across yeah. and go right to... Morning surf. Go right... Yeah. It was like 12 minutes from the border to BMs, and there was no giant buildings blocking the wind flow, so it was like howling offshore. So if it was strong. four foot, six foot, 12 foot, it was roping. Yeah. And it was nuts how good the place was. No one around. No one was... No one was everyone's going to like, well, name it. They're going down the street where it's just, you know, let's go ride a you know, mushy wave and just yeah. kind of cruise for a while. Right. He's like, that's not going to sell. No. Mags aren't going to buy that. You remember, we're shooting wintertime. We're yeah. competing with the North Shore. I go, I'm not going to the North Shore. I'll never get anywhere. Those waves are gnarly, and so are the people that live there. And if you don't have a, any right to be in that lineup during the prime time, you get no pecking order. It was a white guy with white hair. You're fucked. And, and Rob <laughs> knew, and the Mags knew. They had to have good California or Baja, you know, like. Every part of every part of the year, you know, the swells come, yeah. the offshores turn on, and it's like golden. Yeah, yeah, and we had the great lighting. It was like a, a beautiful studio. Yeah. What, what boards were you riding then? At that time, I was riding Eddie Katz. Okay. Eddie Katz was building me boards. What was the name? Seven three with Channon. Chan, uh, Tony Channon was the glassing company. Yeah. And Victor, were they called Channon boards or? They were Eddie Katz labels. So he was a shaper, and then Channon would put their rail labels on it, and then Victory was my wetsuits. Nice. And that's when it all started. And Rob was like, he, he was a double do. He would do the land shots or he would do the, like, his, his, his deal was like, I want to swim. I want to get the water shot. Yeah. He would shoot a few overviews in the morning of us getting ready. And yeah. he'd take a couple clickers from the cliffs to give an overview perspective. But then he'd put his fins on and he'd swim. Yeah. We'd surf three hours minimum, maybe four to five and hours. And he would swim. He would go in. We'd grab a banana. He would reload another roll of film. But he was a picky FOB for shoot. He wouldn't just sit on a trigger. He would pick a couple shots off on that. Per- and if the wave wasn't that good and it wasn't looking right for the type of lens he was using, he wouldn't even shoot. I'm like, did you get the shot? He's like, wasn't good enough. Go get another one. I'm like, yeah. Dude, you know how much work it is to go get another one? Yeah. <laughs> so I learned quickly that I'd sit out there like Shemansky and Colin. Colin would be like a mouse jock. He'd be all over the place riding everything, going away from the camera. I'd just sit. And Shemansky goes, McNaught, you're always just sitting. I'm like, I'm waiting for the fucking perfect wave. I want the best photo. Yeah. I would do that. And I Hey, Rob, it. how far away do I got to be? What are you shooting yeah, with? I was 50, like, 100, 200? Yeah, I was yeah. measuring yeah. everything so I knew exactly when I'd go to lay into it. I'd that's be right in a super focused zone. Yeah, that's and what he did. You know this. And and Porto, like he loved Porto, he loved uh, Baja Malibu, like the the spots that he loved know. the ones that would break your body. Yeah, yeah, and he'd get you fired up. Like Brian Szymanski. Brian Szymanski is like yeah. uh, he took over the Ding King, which is buttons that taught me how to surf. And it's his, he took over his Ding Repair yeah. shop in up there next door to Bain. There was a little was shop he a there. Pro surfer too. Brian yeah, Szymanski? he was. He's really good. He's still really good. Yeah, he's a humble guy. He never talks about anything, but he's. 
damn gifted. Yeah. And he's became a very good artsy person with making resin and fixing boards and then doing yeah. art now. And he does shaping demos and stuff in La Jolla. Yeah. That's right. So, um, But he's been around as long as I have. We got along real, really well. But we were always competitive in the water. Like, I always wanted the better wave, or he'd want the better wave. And then we'd get pissed when Bill Wong would bring down, or when Gomez would bring down his crew. And I'm like, you guys don't belong here. And then Peter King would get in the line. I'm like, what are you doing out here? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. You're you like, would never... off my photographer, though. I brought down here, and I paid the gas. You know, but... Yeah, you, everything <laughs> now was he's so... he's a bad photographer. You know, he gets all the great shots. Everything was so under wraps. He wouldn't even follow me. And I'm like, I try to follow him. I'm like, all right, I'll give you a like now and then. <laughs> yeah, but it was strategic because everybody knew cars and you didn't want to, you know, like, no it much. was it was so, yeah, hush, like, hush, hush. hush. Yeah. We drove like, an rock. old Ford van down there, like a panel van that no one would look at. It looked like a painter van. But Rob had this special metal case that was built yeah. that was drilled and locked into the floor. And then we had this special, like, welded lock where we could have a code to get in so he could lock all his gear in there. And I don't care if he stole the car, it wouldn't go anywhere. But you could never get into that box if he didn't have the code from Rob. Yeah. He was so anal about protecting all his camera gear. Yeah. Incredible. But I love him to still to this day for all that he did for photography. Yeah. He's just he was a genius back in that time. And then Rob Gilly got on the scene and he became a another guy that poached all the great for great athletes to go work with Gilly because Gilly got the next pay. Yeah, like, you know, it's all big game. So, were you making money? No, they making no. getting photos in the magazine. He would make money. Yeah, Rob would. Yeah, yeah. I would be getting another free wetsuit from Victory. I'd get another couple free boards. I'd get some exposure, you know, and like, yeah, I got a shot in the mag. And I'd yeah. run around to Seven Elevens and all the shops and open them up so I could <laughs> let everyone see my photo. And that was the only way to like cross market myself. Yeah. Or but when I'd go into the surf shop, they're like, oh, you're the rep and you're the guy scored Baja Malibu. And I'm like, well, I'm here. What can we do? You want to write some orders? That's how I pay my bills. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was like 10 years where I'd go into stores and they're like, like, could Rukas will do a bunch of not just surf stores, and then like another rep would, you know, be servicing the account. Yeah, Jay, Jay was a pro, and they were like, all these years you never said anything. I'm like, I'm just your rep, man. I'm like, yeah. what does it matter? Like, it wasn't gonna, like, Didn't I have not to my own horn. I don't. I'm yeah. like, just telling you gear. Like, who cares? But that, you know, but, it, but deep down, it feels like, good. yeah, man, it feels good when somebody throws you, throws you, throws you. <laughs> yeah, I never got a cover other than Breakout Magazine. Well, there's this a one proud moment. There was this one Baja Malibu day, and it was as big as I've ever surfed it. And you were out. Rob paddled out on his boogie, and uh, I think I was down. Fuck, I want. I don't even remember I who I was with. I want to say Saxon and maybe Nichols. Yeah. And Nichols. And there was. We were looking. We got down to crack of dawn, and. <laughs> There was a couple people out, and it was the Long Brothers, I think, Gurr, and Hobgoods. And it was like, we just saw people, you know, they're already out as the sun's like barely coming up. And we're like, holy, like, tick, 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 you know? And we're like, big detonators. And he's like frothing, like, you know, a photographer's like, you know, again, he's trying to get some from the freaking cliff up there. Yeah. And he was just like fired up. We're out there and we get down there and I think I had a 7-2 and I need probably an 8-2. Like it was that big because of the winds and everything. It was massive. I learned that the best board for riding anywhere from 8 foot to 15 foot faces. Yeah was a 7.3, but I had mine with double uh, six-ounce glass. Just to weight, weight it down. Weight. Yeah. A lot of weight. 
And that was my winner because everybody else would come down and were like performance boards. I'm like, okay, go ahead. You're not going to get into them. And Saxon used to praise me. He like Saxon Bouchard. Yeah. He was like, dude, you get all the ways. I go, and he's like, your board's so heavy. I go, it's only works here. Can't ride anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can get in at Swami's on a slopey day because it's got. Once you get the thing going, it's got so much weight. It just glides like a like a longboard kind of feel. Yeah. But to have that on steep drops at Ba. Yeah, the wind is the wind so is so crucial. But yeah. ever since they built in '96, they built that huge sky rise right there at, at San Antonio. It wrecked that whole northern corner. Mm. The wind is now blocked, so now it's the south end where the open is, where all the trailer parks. There's yeah. so many hidden nooks down there, but a lot of people don't even know how to get there. But I think you were the only one that got a photo from that day, like a water photo, a and then one. like I think. Maybe a year or two later, I got like a little quarter page in Surfer's Journal, like you know, yeah. like way late. Like I don't know from that day. Yeah, huh? Yeah, crazy. I know, and I'm like, you know, because it was hey, so hard for him to line up. But did you see McNugget get some? Nuggets? Oh, for sure, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he got some nuggets. Yeah, thank you. Yep, you know, yeah. yeah. I think everybody was just trying to wait for that one because the paddle outs were so Don't gnarly. Brutal. We weren't catching many waves. We were just kind of. Okay, how do I catch a wave and then make Baja it back? Malibu's top to bottom. Fucking it's, it's, it was like port. Powerful. I'm like, we're surfing Porto in in full suits. I was like, what the hell's going on? And it's actually better because it was like teeping. Like it, yeah. it comes up super, almost too peaky on some. You're almost looking you take for the ones behind that look, the peak to go to shoot yeah. through them. They're crazy. Yeah. But I'm, you know, talking like yeah, there, it was big. And it's sand bottom, so even if you get bounced off the bottom, you still get bruised. It hurts. You know? Yeah, it, it's got a lot of power. But Porto's a good point. It has that same kind of punch. Yeah, but it was like you know we were just tripping because you know like you hear you know, these swells only come every once in a while. You know, like these big ones and yeah, and they work there on a it, northwest. Two, well, I'm not going to say the degrees. Yeah, someone will learn. But yeah, there's it definitely has a magnet for getting in between those two outer islands. Yeah, and it corners up really well there so going back to that rolling stone uh you were working for pirate surf i was ending my relationship i didn't know but they did they had an exit already planned to get rid of me which i didn't know because you know jeff already cried baby his way out of the door and him and booger decided to take the whole spring collection light fire to it with the barbecue and the lighter fluid in front of the building and then the I'm like, what? what the, f- why? And they're like, we're done, we're, we're out of here. Because they were so mad about what Quicksilver was taking, the, knocking. The, knocking the product off. And I, basically, it hurt our feelings that we had already established ourselves, or I did, in all the shops, and we had hot, we got Big and E on the East Coast putting in all the right shops all the way up to WRV, you know, wave riding vehicles, and we were traveling everywhere and promoting the brand and really growing it. We, we didn't need their money. Honestly, we could have found a private investor that would have given us seed money to be able to build the apparel to keep the vibe alive. But yeah. I think Yoki became a, a, little, a little bit of a, a baby about it. And his wife wore his pants for him and said, hey, we, we got to sell the house. We can't make our payments. We, that's kind of my feeling is he needed money more than he wanted to hold on to the passion. Yeah. And try to find that's the That's the hardest thing when you get a, a young brand just starting off regardless, but when it explodes like that, you need so much more capital to kind of like fuel well, that demand. And it's yeah. it's kind of the death of some brands, you know? And and if you've got a good aura and a good vibe rolling, then you should be able to find, you know, back in those years, there wasn't, 
There was. There was family deep pockets from several individuals that were very well off, and they helped seed another, you know, the Volcom brand. Yeah. They helped seed other brands. But at that time, he took took the initiative, and I, I would have never left Nike had I... I mean, even though Pirate was really cool, I should I should have left Pirate if DK would have given me a green light and said you need to go this way. I would have said, "Fuck, I'm done. Well, this thing's over. Let's go ride the new, you know, yeah. new, new horse." And and that hurt. That hurt because Tucker Tucker Hall at that time was a cool kid. He was fucking crazy as hell, but I liked him. Yeah, blonde headed rat, rad kid, not rat, but rad like money kid. And Wilcock was another. His dad was an investor. And yeah. I, I didn't know. I, didn't, I just figured I'd like those guys. Yeah, his dad was a, a doctor, right? He, like, I don't know. What, I think he was an investment banker or somebody. I uh-huh. know that they had some sort of seed money and yeah. they were doing something smart. And had I know, I would have moved on that. You know, like. And then when when Colin Hayes started Ruka, I was like, I want it. And I was uh, hanging out. I took. I took Andy and Bruce for the first time to Puerto, and then that later we went to France. I went to B Ritz and Locking Out and hung out in the Gotcha House with Kenny Jacobs, and that's when I started working for Gotcha. It was in '93, '94 hmm. under Joel Cooper and Michael Thompson, and I gotcha cre- was created a whole shoe brand for them. And a it, shoe it, brand for Gotcha? Yeah, before even people knew how to do shoes, I mean, Etnies was just starting, and I started making patents on the shoes. And then I came up with a patent for snowboard boots. What? I licensed. I came up with the four, first Air. So you were seeing all that stuff done at the Nike level, and, and you're I like, was like, "Okay, okay I'm going after this market." And I just kept building. And I had a, a buddy that had just become a, a patent attorney, and I'm still to this day. He's the one that's helped me get all my patents. So I just I write a lot of stuff down, and then we tweak it, make it so it's official, able to be granted in our U.S. patent programs. And I, done very well at doing this but so i came up with the first airbag for under a snowboard boot i created the first airbag for the inside to protect the achilles to keep the heel down inside the boot i licensed that to k2 and ride and made very good money for two years then then dc went around my back after me showing it and they knocked me off and they went around my patent and they did it a good job because my patent wasn't quite ironclad enough to protect me. 32, I tried to do a deal with them, which is Etnies, and then they swooped in and took me for a ride. But it became very, uh, I got really upset because no one was trusting my innovation and my skill sets that I had brought to the table at a very young age that I had learned basically from the Nike corporate corporate setting. Yeah. That I was well ahead of these people. They were all knocking off Nike's shoes, trying to rebuild like a cool skate shoe vibe with just using what the factories was giving them. But they, they were good at drawing at that time. Computers, instead of pencil sketching, now computers were coming. And DC was really on that. And growing up down there with Colin McKay and, and, and Danny Way, yeah. they had a, a vision to make, they were popular. Very and popular. they put DC on the map. To and they did a great job at it. Killed it. Obviously. Yeah, they killed it. Yeah. I was I, I would have I would have loved to click into some of that coin. Yeah, and stayed sober and enjoyed it. But they but decided. those like you know all those shoe brands were emerging. But there you know there was only a handful of factories that actually like made that did that kind of product. that was you know truly for that sport enthusiast that would make that kind of outsole. Yeah, but most of the same upper materials and the last that they used were still last that the running companies had already like had. Yeah. There was truly no real innovation. Same materials. Yep. So you worked for Gotcha after after Pirate Surf. Yeah. Okay. Well, I left. I left Gotcha. And, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I left Pirate Surf and went 
a year and a half, 93, and raised my basically raised my daughters for a little bit. Mm. And then I got a job with a company called Pure Juice and Rogue. So I worked with this guy, Greg, in Oceanside, and I drove back and forth from Newport Beach to work in his office and help develop and, and create. You came, you... I flipped it around. I started living up here and then drove all the way back to Oceanside to start Pure Juice Sandals and Rogue uh, Technical Sandals. Yeah. And I did all the trade shows. I put that damn company on the map. Crazy. did Kelly ride for Pure Juice? When I left. Yeah. yeah. Because I brought in ASIC Tiger, the two corporate executives that were financial invested, and they met with me, and I go, you want to buy the company? And they're like, yeah. So we sold it for, a, yeah, Money. a big number. And Pure then, Juice. Yeah, we sold it to them. Greg got all his money. I got paid out. And um, then they offered Kelly a bunch to be in a couple ads. I think Kelly thought I was still part of it at that time. And I'm like, nope, I got paid. I'm gone, dude. You guys are out. But Kelly didn't care. He was already a... Yeah. He's a nice guy. Pay he's me. A very smart. I'm out of here. Yeah. How, how <laughs> long were you part of that company? I did that for three years. Okay. And then that's right then at 90... Let's see, that's 90, 91. So 92, 93, 94. And then I went to Gotcha and I go, hey, I got a an idea. I want to pitch... So they're like, I had to meet with Joel Cooper and Michael Thompson. How fun. And that was a definitely <laughs> a turning point in my life to where I was introduced to a lot of um, different types of things. Yeah. Craziness. Yes. Uh, that I was truly invested in. I got hooked up with a guy named Michael Grushka, which I love that guy. But he was a crazy man that could stay up and draw and put things together on a computer and work under MT's direction like nobody could. So he took all of MT's like yes. designs and, and he, put it. So put MT, MT was like, dude, you're MT and I came up with the, you know, the shoe that put the put Jeff Kelly on the map, the Sanook shoe. I made that shoe for Andy Irons, and when Andy left MCD and went to Billabong, we pulled that shoe from my line. That shoe was the very first shoe that I went to Japan and found it, recreated it with Michael Thompson. And it, it's basically became the Sanook fucking boner point for Kelly to be the claim of his fame. And then he sold it to Deckers and made $60 million. And I'm like, where's my $5 million, fucker? Wait. Still, every time I see him on planes, I'm like, you owe me $5 million. He goes, I paid you five grand. I go, you paid me five grand. I didn't know you were going to go patent the shoe behind me. Before I even had a chance to patent my innovation of a new type of wearable shoe that was soft heel counter with the funny toe box that wrapped all the way around. The outside like, like a, the sandal. It's like a sandal shoe. He, it's not a shoe, it's the sandal. It was, yeah. He, he branded it well, but I created the first shoe. And that was initially through... That was for Gun Michael Thompson Gun and I. We did it for Andy Irons. Yeah. Because Michael would send me to go watch over Andy. Andy, when we were at Quicksilver, he would stay at my house in Newport. Him and Brucey, yeah, and then a couple other Hawaiians, and they would just those guys were crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. I'm like, dude, you left my garage open. I wake up next day, and I go, all my beer's gone, my mountain bike's gone, and he goes, well, so are all my travel bags. I go, who's wrong here? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Andy, you gotta shut the door when you come in because I, I don't stay up till two, three in the morning. And yeah. he was different. He was a different, but he was good, and I love the kid. But yeah, they were like. Wings are off. I'm off the rock. Like, yeah, let's like, go. Like Phil, his dad, Phil, would call, and I'm like, he's all right, man. And I'm like, okay. And Brucey, I would use him for ads. And he's like, I mean, you ever use me for pure juice ads? I'm like, dude, you're mean to me. You don't want to beat me up, man. <laughs> what if, 
I don't give you any love. You just want to like leave my doors open. I got kids. You yeah. Know? Settle down. Crazy. So when we, we got all crazy in Europe because we were doing gotcha and MCD was a big thing. It was oh, taken off. And I'm like, I, blowing I, I'm up. like, this is rad. This is rad. But trying to keep Andy under the ropes. Yeah, he's like, I'm like, Andy, Let me use your, yeah, like, all dude, of them. And then we got, we had, um, Chris, not Christian Fletcher, but Nathan. Yeah. He was my cool cat. He was like, dude, I got weed. You want to burn one? I'm like, why not? Yeah. Let's try this. Let's see where we go. But he would always protect me with Andy because Andy, like, there was something about him. And then Bruce would play a part. I'm like, these guys are just really good athletes, but they didn't have a mindset and they didn't care about doing anything that was professionally right for business. They just wanted to have fun and yeah. do what they knew best. Yeah. I, really- I, I was the other way around. I'm like, I can surf. But I'm not at your level, but I'm definitely at a different playing field when it comes to being innovative and doing things that I know are going to be beneficial yeah. for my so life. Tell they me about the shoe and why were you making a shoe for him? Um, because at that time, we had him. he was our main star after we had, had all for the other MC rock Man. stars. He was the hot kid coming up. Yeah. And MT loved Andy. And Birds goes, of a feather. <laughs> he really wanted him bad. And I go, let me build him a shoe. He goes... We're not doing shoes. I go, we're doing a shoe. This guy's going to sell us fucking shoes. Yeah. Let's do a shoe for him. And he's like, you're already doing a Chris Ward shoe. I go, Chris Ward's already sold me hundreds of thousands of pairs in Europe. I go, what do you think Andy will do? Yeah. He'll sell me a million shoes and one following. What shoe was Chris Ward's shoe? I made a a basically like a Nike court shoe with a simple bottom, but I did the bottom of the shoe. I carved and made it all look like it was a coral reef. Mm. And then put a gotcha corporate logo in it, and then the upper was just all. So you guys cut made suede. gotcha we, shoes? Yeah, we did hundreds of thousands of gotcha shoes. Do you we remember had, that? We I had don't. a we had a company that supported our program, which was called Romica. They're a German company, and they helped fund the whole program and paid us salaries, and they did all the marketing. What was the dollars? You know, Europe was dominating the like. The they sh- were. It was big because a Kenny Jacobs was like a big licensee. For license or I don't know which way. So you didn't really need it to be like hit minimums or or, or like they had distributors six, already in place that were buying Gotcha's product. Yeah, and he was controlling that, and so they were they, just like, did those "We're buying." Make it. it to the U.S. We did a little bit in the that's, U.S. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't think they needed yeah. to even do U.S. We because did it was so like well in Europe. So I just fly Europe. over to Europe and hang out over there. And I was going to B Ritz and locking out where all the vents were. And Andy, I would always want to ride Andy's boards. And he's like, you ride my board, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. I'm like, dude, I just want to borrow your board. You don't even need it. You got 12 boards. Can I just use one of them? And then Bruce is like, don't worry about it. Just take one. So I take one to go serving. And then Andy's waiting for me. He just wanted to punch me. And I put the board on me, punched the board. And I'm like, how do you feel now about your board? He goes, you can keep that board. I'm like, it's got a hole in it. So it's just funny how shit would evolve, but I I have so many photos of all of us when we were young kids. I would love to be able to find those because there's so many great moments. And one, I can only imagine. We yeah. had photographers that would like wait, like it was paparazzi, like just to see Andy and Bruce back in the early days. And they so didn't care. Trip. It not It's not like that anymore. I mean, the magazine, the whole era that's changed. Yeah, but that was but all like, mag stuff back then. That's the only way we got exposure. We didn't have cell phones. But they but are they superstars had, at like such a young age. Yeah, 17, yeah. they were like superstars. Yeah. But, like, I was traveling you, with them at 15, 17, and I was 22, 23. And I was like, this. And they were Groms. They were Groms, but I was still like learning my own way and figuring shit out. But I was, you know, I had, I had money and I was happy and... Uh, I was responsible. So yeah. they, the corporate guys would go, okay, take care of these guys. I'm like, I don't want to babysit these guys. Yeah. I want to hang and out and surf with them. Doing. That's yeah. what I want to do. I want to yeah. hang out and surf with them. Yeah, yeah. but you I were... I was kind of babysitting them. Yeah. 
Because those guys. Whether they want to believe it or not, and I know that Andy was kind to me, but Bruce was really cool, and he he's like, dude, you were always, you know, but always had her back, always, you know, protecting us or keeping an eye out. Yeah, like I'll pick you up. You you let them stay at your house for months in the summer months when with your kids. Yeah, my kids had them like move out of their room so that they could take over the whole back end of the house. Yeah, like I'm sleeping at this end of my house, you're sleeping at that end, and please. Shut the door when you go to the toilet so my daughters don't know. And my yeah. girls were like four, five, and three, and no, four and five. So they were walking, they were doing a lot of movement. Yeah. They were cute. And I'm like, you guys, you know, be polite. Don't yeah. swear. Don't be mean. Yeah. Don't yeah. be tough on my kids. You know, and if they're going to play kitchen time, you need to participate. Yeah. They'll give you a teacup. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're going to make you something scrambled. You know, enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's there or not, kind of visualize drink this, it. Drink <laughs> the imaginary tea. And if they hand you a stuffed the- animal, don't tear it apart. Enjoy yeah. the stuffed animal. Cuddle it and be embrace it. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is fun. You know, it's like fun, harmless. Like, it's going to happen like so, kids are yeah you're new people to play with who are these yeah, oh yeah. awesome and they're all into it oh, they were, for sure yeah yeah those guys are like running amok though yeah. and doing crazy shit yeah for uh, sure there's so, another kai something there was a guy named kai, kai van dyke no kai there's oh, another kai. hawaiian kai kai something i can't think of his last name but he's He's still, he's with Volcom to this day. And he's Kai maybe, Garcia? Gar, maybe. No. Kyborg. Kyborg? Yeah. I don't know. I shouldn't even say it. But he was a, one of the nicer ones that came and stayed with me when he was a young kid. Yeah. And he was kind of like helping out Andy and Bruce. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know. Because Phil from Kauai is like, I need to send somebody over there to make sure that these guys keep their head on. And they're like, we got to drive to Santa Barbara and get me boards. I'm like, dude, you know how far Santa Barbara is from Newport? You guys going to pay my gas? Like, my dad will. I'm like, your dad ain't going to send me any. Yeah, I gotta call Quicksilver and go, um, Robbie. And he's like, McNaught. And I go, I need money for these guys. He's like, Whatever you need, I got a budget. And Robbie taught at that time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I need travel bags. I need these guys to come shopping. They lost everything. They left my garage. He's like, Whatever, I get it. You're dealing with them. We'll take care of it. Yeah, so, so funny. Freak though, show. Like, yeah, they, before the name even became anything, these guys were creating the freak yeah. show. And then O'Neill ran with it, you know. But these guys had it well before they did. Oh, like, jeez. So- so, so, Gotcha. Gotcha did that for a five-year contract, and it lasted four years. Um, money people came in in the year 2000, and that whole thing changed. I had a really fun year from 94 to 99. Well, I left in 2000, and that was it. So I got my four years out of it. Okay. They cut me a little short, but that was a great contract. Was Thanks. Pure Juice before? Before or that. Okay. Before Three that, years okay. before that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. And what other... Project were you involved in at, at Gotcha? Just the shoes? Just and shoes, and I always snooped around to see what they were doing with fabrics and yeah. just kind of hanging out. In the, and at that time, there was a guy named Dave Gilovich. Yeah. Gilovich is super cool, and I really adored Surf him. He, that's where he is now, yeah. and he left Gotcha to go to Surfline, and I was favorably impressed with his marketing and what he did to control the freaks in that building. He was super, <laughs> like, square but knew what needed to be done, and he kept the ship afloat. Hmm. He's but, a steward of this ship. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even know him anymore, but he was—he still rings in my head. There's certain guys that just, you know, because yeah. he, he had the marketing department, and Mike Grishka was a, a wild firecracker and an independent. He worked for the company, but him and MT, when they get together, it was like MT would go 35 miles fast forward with all these ideas and Gru's over here going like 95 miles an hour with the same blending the ideas yeah. and then all of a sudden they'd morph into something I'm like what the fuck how'd you come up with that 
Was, and they created the raddest campaigns for MCD and at that time Gotcha. Yeah. And it just became like a full driving force that the industry was well behind yeah. where they were running. Yeah, more and then that brought in that's the first company that brought in huge like Sherson Lehman like monies that were from like American Express, like huge investment bankers yeah. came in and they were the first ones in the year two thousand. Uh, Marvin Winkler was a big seed money guy that came in and bought out Joel and Michael for a, a good amount. I don't know the disclosed amount, but it was like, it what? shut my contract down and I was, we were done. The whole thing was like, okay, they just came in and sweep the deck and everyone, you know, gets pushed away and we can keep certain things going. And that just goes to show how big, big money can come in and yeah, kind of change the whole, change the whole <laughs> vibe of what was really cool and authentic, yeah. you know? Well, that started in the year 2000. And at that time, we thought computers were never going to... It's going to hit 2000. We're going to fucking... Computers are going to blow up. Yeah, up Y2K. Yeah, it's all over. We don't even know. I'm like, the clock's going to tick at midnight. What's going to happen to the computers? Are they going to detonate and we're all going to go to hell? I don't know where we're going. Yeah. You know, it was the weirdest time. There's not another zero. It's not going to be able to, like, you know, like, calculate anything. <laughs> yeah, or right? It was super it. weird. Like, yeah, that happened. So then, that is where my life then changed again. And... I went about a year with nothing going on, and, and about two th- about September of 2000, um, I started working for Eastern Diamond, and that was when Eastern Diamond is a fleece company out of China. Yeah, and I the guy's name was, uh, was. I remember Eastern Diamond, and there was a guy named Brad Rambo. Yeah, yeah, Brad Rambo used to work for them, and I came in and I started working, and Brad's like, "I'm out of here." I'm like, "Why?" And he goes, "I can't deliver on time." And I'm like, oh, "Fuck, here we go again. I'm gonna sell fleece and never get my deliveries." Oof. And I'm like, you can make money on fleece. Yeah. But then Brad's like, I'm out here. I'm going to go start my own company. And I'm already, I've been there like six months. I've already sold like four containers of fleece. <laughs> and he's like, I hope they deliver. And I go over to the guy. I think his name was Mr. Shoe. I don't remember. Something. Jimmy or something. And I'm like, we're going to deliver. We're going to deliver. We're going to deliver. I'm oh. like, uh, I go, why don't you just write me a check right now? He's like, how much do you want? I go, well, I want you agreed to. If you don't deliver, I want my check. They wrote me a check. And I go, when Smart. I go, I want to be paid for everything I brought in because it's real orders. And I was writing them for, which they didn't have at that time, I was writing them for licensed groups that were doing Marvel, Disney, big box business. I'm young. I'm like, I'm not selling a surf shop a dozen fucking sweatshirts. Yeah. I'm selling truckloads. And I did. And How did I, you connect with those people because i had a feeling and a feeling that i wanted to do something at a different level i wanted to get into the department stores and gotcha was opening a lot of different grounds for me of networking with different types of people and Mm -hmm. i had met these people at trade shows because mt and joel they were big trade show players back then they would have a lot of parties and a lot of networking skills and when those big bankers came in, I got introduced to like the Warner Brothers people, the Disney people, the Mad Engine people. Um, the other one, which is you just high took notes and I took kept notes. everything. Yeah, and I'm like, ooh, I remember you. And I take their card. I tell you, then take a picture of it, and I paid attention. These guys are getting a little weirdy and having fun. Don't get me wrong; we all got a little sissy. Yeah, but contacts are everything. Yeah. And I stuck to that because in this game, it's who you know and who you continue to follow up with. Which I still wish some of these guys would like help me because I've kind of help them get their where they're at to this day but a lot of it's money and that's what's kind of the shame a lot of them take the money i yeah. took it as a, a another gamble so i booked it i worked there three months did all these containers they delivered 
And then I got a call from Sunsports. They were a big print shop in Irvine. They're like, Mark, come in. We want to buy your fleece. I'm like, okay. And, like, and I sat down and like, I sold him fleece because they had some chase projects for the surf industry. Yeah. He goes, I need you to go up and meet with this Israeli guy. He's got a job and he's got a program he started. It's called YS Garments. I go, what do they do? And he goes, just go meet with Joe. I'm like, okay. So that was right at the end of 2000. And it was, shit, it was getting ready to be the holiday season. I'm like, oh God, this is like fleece season blowing up. This yeah. is the best time. I get up there and he's all, we're YS Garments. And I'm like, you got a flyer? Yeah, I got a flyer. You got a catalog? You got any marketing? What are you doing? And he goes, we're going to invent the newest t-shirt that no one's ever seen. Huh. I'm like, what kind of t-shirt's that? And he goes, we're going to make a tissue shirt. I go, what's a tissue shirt? He goes, it's super thin fibers. It is like super fitted and it's going to make the girls look super sexy. I go, really? That's cool. Where are they? And he goes, check them out. So I look at them and I'm like, whoa, these are beautiful. Like killer hands, Super buttery like, yeah, soft. Light. And it's, they were made in our Because everything in was India beefy, factory. heavy. Everything was heavy. Like, yeah. You know, Girls don't know that. Like, Guys, you could probably sell. Skaters yeah. will buy that all day long. It took me three years to get the men's super buttery soft fitted shirts into all the surf brands and all the department stores. It was like a pain in the ass. They were like, oh, we can buy Gildan. We can buy All Style. We can buy. And then all of a sudden, Next Level became the name. Yeah. Next Level Apparel, NLA. In 2001, next little apparel, 2002, 2003, 2004, we're starting to blow up. American Apparel starts. And then they're getting all like the weird ads and they're getting a big play. And now they're reproducing and they're claiming they're made in America, but they're really made in Guatemala and San Salvador. And they ship them over here and relabel them and make them say they're made in America. Wow. Kind of all cheating. Same thing Joe did. So we were making our shirts. A lot of them with the factory that I'm still with to this day, 20-something years later, out of India. We'd bring in all our shirts from India out of this tissue fabric that Andy, my partner, developed these shirts. But what made it happen is this this quiet partner, the Mexican gentleman, that was part of the founding relationship for Next Level with Joe, Joe from Simsotex, was his dad and him were pattern makers. So they figured out how to engineer the correct fit for the women, the correct fit for the men. Yeah, because the shrinkage and their you know Everything. different way, the way things to, stretches. And our guy and Andy knew how to make the yarn so it wouldn't shrink and torque and be able to be the right fit. And that's how we premium taste. We put us on the map. Yeah. So I got 15 years of that. Made a lot of great contacts. Yeah, because I, I put it in every brand. Like you know, it, it was. It's funny because right when that was going, you know, Ruka was starting, and Pat was, you know, all about premium tees. And here I'm going to like surfing. You know, we have you know Fred Siegel and American Rag and some you know really high end well, stores. Does it? Buy, yeah, but the skate, <laughs> but the skate and surf shops were, were like. I think the regular screen prints from like uh, companies were. Seven fifty to eight fifty, like that was the that wholesale. was the wholesale yeah. price where it was costing them like you know? two three dollars to make the shirt. And, and we we, so we had a couple of ten dollar shirts which were over, but there was the same quality as those seven fifties. And then we had a twelve dollar tee, and I got laughed at like, "What are you doing? Like nobody's gonna ever buy that for like seasons." Like oh, you know. And hurts, surely enough, hurts. like yeah, you you know sell. Just try a couple. Just try a couple. You know. And it took a while to like get yeah. on, but like. It but was, as, the, as Ruka started blowing up, everything else started blowing yeah, up. Yeah, you know, and we just kind of said, hey, we're going to be a premium brand and, you know, we're not going to put out, you know, crappy teas. And, you know, like it, it just kind of took a while to catch on. But yeah. it was like, it, you know, it was the same time 
yeah. your guys's deal was we going. were way ahead yeah again and the vision that all of us had or the main money man which was joe his family his father um was one of the big investors and he believed that Alan and his family from Mexico knew how to make a good fit. And then our guy in India, which is my partner to this day for my embroidery, is the one that basically created the best fit for Next Level Apparel in the right yarns and the right fabric and a buttery hand. And we just expanded the line and hired more people and kept selling until we all almost like having heart attacks because it was like, can't make it fast enough. Yeah. People are buying it now. And, and it wasn't and just like, a traditional... Okay, we're cutting your commission. We're cutting your commission. Yeah. You're getting too rich. Like, what? So, next level... Because with, with Eastern Diamond, you went the licensee, Marvel. Yeah. You went that And I used it. that as my tip-in to use that as my tool to say, hey, I can get these shirts into these big box guys that you guys don't even have access to. Yeah. And he goes, but you're a surfer. <laughs> I'm like, well, I had to start somewhere. I still believe in the ocean. What's that have to do with it? Are you going to pay me? He goes, yeah, pay commission. I go, okay, so now I have to go prove myself for you now. Yeah. And you're going to pay me commission. Well, you just write me a fat check. I go, and, and at that time, I judged everybody by their car. Yeah. That was the wrong thing to do. But I learned. You know, if you got a nice car, they think you got money. There's a lot of people that finance their cars. They don't fucking shit. Right. Okay. So. Very prevalent today. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I drive a normal little car and I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, I own my car. I own all my stuff. <laughs> I'm like. Hey, older and wiser. Yeah. I've learned. Hey, and you've I'm learned. Very, I'm tough, very thankful. Tough, tough learning lesson. I still wish I would have listened to my grandfather and bought dirt. Because yeah. that dirt along those coastlines, I could have been way more wealthy by having those as VRBOs. Yes. You know? <laughs> Turn that land into a nice brick and mortar. Yeah. Anyways, so back to that. What happened was, he's like, you already got the job. I'm like, I have a job? And I go, what kind of structure? What are we doing here? He goes, no, you're going to go sell everybody you know. You're going to be on commission. I go, commission? God, I got to earn my spot again? Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Where's my samples? He goes, we got to make you samples. I go, where are those coming from? He goes, India. I go, well, how long is that going to take to get here? He goes, well, we have another factory in China. And I go, that's still halfway around the world. How long until I have samples? He goes, there'll be a box here in a couple days. Sure enough, boxes here in a couple days. Dang. 60 in a box. Tutti Fruity Colors. So they just gave you like one like sample line, one of every color. Yep. And How many fits were they having at that time? We had two. Two fits. We had one men's fit and one women's fit. Okay. And they were both round necks, short sleeve, but fitted. Hmm. And I put them on. I'm like, whoa, dude, I feel like I'm a bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I'm in a tissue tee where you can like see everything and look good on girls. But then on guys, I'm like, I'll try. Yeah. This is very thin for guys. And at that time, there were 40 singles. To this day... 40 singles is a very sheer shirt. Most of the shirts we do are a 32 single, like 165 GSM. But that same factory that I am with in my embroidery to this day is the same factory in India that I've been with and I believed and he's believed in me. And he's put a lot of time in investing. When we were with NLA for 15 years, he got burned for a lot of money, mm. $10 millions of dollars and not being paid. So he had been putting money away for me on all my orders. Like, so I was getting like a kickback, which we know is like 
doesn't matter. It's still built into our price. Yeah. But what the company was doing is we're, it's like a form of commission. Yeah. We'd be bringing in the shirts from India. And at that time we had a sublimation division and we would sublimate images. So I'm like, hey, I know people at Quicksore. I know people at Billabong. I know a couple of people at, at that time, Vans. I know, you know, I kind of know a couple of people in the industry, you know. I know people at Marvel. I mean, I kind of, I know Disney. Oh, we already got Disney. I'm like, whoa, you already got Disney? I mean, we just started two years ago. It's all right. I hired a girl. She can get us all the Disney business we want. I go, but I know Ivan Spears and I know Zania. He goes, well, you can have that account. So I just kept naming things. He's like, you can have that account. You can have that account. You can have that account. So we were bringing in like container after container, you know, which isn't a lot. But at that time, we're putting 70,000 shirts in a container and they're selling as quick as we get them in. They get them on the floor. They're selling small orders right out our door. We're growing. Wow. And we were doing a 60, 40 polyester shirt, that 60% poly, 40 cotton, where now I've reversed it in my 100% recycle. Higher cotton content, so it's softer, more luxurious, and recycled. Now, in that point, we're doing only conventional. We'd bring these shirts in, made in India, and have a tear-out label before even someone knew about tearaways. Everyone was doing wovens. Tearaways were great for the screen printers because then any brand could embellish their own neck label. Yeah. The COOs are on the side seam. Those were also supposed to be tear-out. I was doing business in great volume with um, Steve Fontes. Yeah, mm. he opened the door for me at Quick. I love that guy. I miss him, but he, he's him and his girl were part of Quick, and then they moved to Australia for a dream ride for Billabong. And he let me do all the draw cords for every Quicksilver shirt short, where I could put tips on them and do Quicksilver tippings and make make all the different types of draw cords, silicone, sublimated. I came up with a whole yeah. draw cord collection Rubber for him. Like whatever, everything. Yeah, I came yeah, up with it. all this out of China with another friend of mine that did shoelaces that I met through Nike. Another app. Like that's just a giant one shoelace with different yeah. tips. Yeah, just changing yeah. the weave and creating something that was cool. And he loved it. He got me from Kelly Kelly Denho at that time to go, okay, use them as a source. I'd make a penny on every lace. I must have done like hundreds of thousands of laces for all the Quicksilver wow. shorts. So it was fun. And then that gave me the door in with Guy. Guy. Uh, God, what is Guy's last name? What brand? He was Quicksilver and he was the sourcing, or not sourcing, he was like the head developer that oversaw all of Quicksilver's printables. Hmm. And now he runs like um, his own firm, something starts with a C, um, Game Changer is the name of his firm or Changer or something. Anyways, so he was really like, okay. Guy Channon? Guy Channon? Yeah, it is Guy Channon. Yeah, so it changed. Okay, so he he was important there. I met him. He was Israeli. He goes, "Who's running the company?" I go, "Israeli." He goes, "Oh, I want to meet them all." And so they get in there talking, and they all click. Next thing you know, we're getting t-shirt business. We started selling the tissue tea sublimated to Quicksilver. I'm like, "Fuck yeah, we're on the map. Here we go. Yeah. It's gonna start working." Because it's a, I mean, it's a it's, big it's snowball a, in our industry. Like, oh, I'm selling you them. Know, oh, you sell yeah, them? Okay, yeah. cool. But if you're not they're selling anybody, yeah, they're like, there's and no then, way you're going to get the break. And then at that time, Billabong was already becoming really going away and it was becoming Hurley. Yeah. Hurley's whole family became the new movement. It took me about another year to get in there. And I'm like, come on, you guys, can you try a newer tea, a newer style? And at that, Dwight Dunn was like, oh, we got plenty of sources. I'm like, you guys always... What's the problem with trying something? Yeah. They still, to this day, everyone I talk to, like, they're all so like, ah, oh, we got you covered. Ah, oh, it's, and I'm like, okay. 
try. Yeah. Well, they finally tried. It worked. It worked for several seasons. We started doing sublimated board shorts and doing wacky prints that um, Ryan, Hurley, embraced and gave yeah. me a lot of help. It worked. Then as it went on, um, after doing several seasons, we got to a point where the product was working. It was selling. It was checking. And there was a, a lot that came in. All our neck tags were made the same Mexico for Hurley and for Quicksilver. The COOs on the side scene were saying made in India. Hmm. They were supposed to be cut out like they normally are, but yeah. someone didn't catch it in, in our QC for production in Compton. Wow. That raised two big flags, two of my largest accounts. We get a call from Bob Hurley's team saying, hey, you want to bring your owner down? We're going to have a meeting. I'm like, okay, we're going to probably get another season. This is going to be great. We get down there yeah. and it's like, uh, Carrie, Carrie from, she was one of the main purchasing persons. She goes, um, turn the shirt inside out. And I'm like, yep, I like it. It looks good, huh? Like, Ooh, there's a label on the inside. That doesn't match the neck label. You guys are done. Wow. That's it. No more business. You're cheating. Kind of in a polite way. They said, you're, you're done. Yeah. Three days later, Guy Channing calls and goes, we got a problem here. I'm like, what's the problem? He goes, you need to come in. Actually, I'm going to come to you. we got a problem here. Same thing. And who... who I lost yeah. all my business for three years from both those brands where I was like black label, blacklisted. I never got anything. They never did anything to the NLA. They never did anything to Simsotex. They just like shut them down and never gave them any more work. Yeah. So they say. But I was the front guy that had no clue that that was actually being done. I was under the impression that everything was done correctly and being sent through the whole channels. Yeah. You're the salesman. You're not the production <laughs> back. You don't know what's coming. Is this yeah. supposed to be me doing everything? I mean, I already do as many things as I can just to keep everybody done. And that crushed me. And I lost a lot. All those relationships still to this day won't even give me meetings. And they still... So it hurts. Yeah. And, and that was a big turning point in my, in my world to where then I'm like, okay... I still ran with them. They put me on NLA and Simsotex put me on big salaries. They said, okay, we just need you as a spokesperson. We need you to continue after the licensing business. Don't worry about the surf. They're going to go down anyways. Well, sure enough, three years later, the surf market started to go down a different yeah. path. They started selling out. And in our case, they all started to go uh, taken away from the coolness. And I go, it's not because of what we did. It's just the, the market was evolving yeah. a different type of platform. So I then created in <clears throat> 2016, I left them. I had a, like a year of not doing anything. Spent time with a couple inventors that were from Sweden. What was, sorry to interrupt, but what was the percentage of the, your surf business versus like your other like At that time, licensees? And 12, year, year 12, 13, 14. Um, was terrible for me. It was it was uh, it was the year eight was was starting. I was already blowing up in uh, nine and ten and eleven, and then twelve it came like screeching. But like what you know you had. I had seventy percent surf business. Okay, so that was a and big then portion. when that was huge and when that faded away, is when the department business really kicked in and carried me mm. all the way up until and then I left. I left for two years away in twelve. I left twelve and thirteen. Worked for Porsche, 
as an ambassador for them, and I couldn't handle that business. So then I came back to in L.A. They gave what? me yeah, Porsche. I worked for Audi and Porsche. I did for ambassador a, a year for each one of them. Doing what? Getting surf shots. Yeah, and <laughs> trying to get in with corporate to see if I could do something in the auto world because I loved cars and. I, they're like, well, can you sell them? Like, You're like, man, I, I bought in 20 of your cars I'm, already. I'm, like, I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm like, what do I got to do? So, yeah, I learned. I had, to learn, I had to learn all the history of Audi from when they started it. And I had to learn all the history of Porsche. And those companies are together with Volkswagen. So it was, I won awards. I was, I was in TV commercials. I was very, I had a lot of fun. I got to drive a lot of beautiful cars. Dang. But you were an ambassador for those two yep, car companies. Yep, for. Were you getting paid? Oh, yeah. I was making money. I don't yeah, do car dealerships or car companies, they have money. The, de- yeah. the dealerships would pay for, yeah, and corporate paid. Yeah. That's so bizarre. <laughs> what a wild turn. How did you even get and that it, gig? Uh, I basically was buying cars. And I'm like, I, I went in one day to go to Mercedes. And I'm like, I'm going to buy an S-Class. I bought an S-Class after having lunch with my wife. And she's like, we don't need a car. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I want to put a Porsche. Yeah, we'll go buy a Porsche. And I'm like, stupid, 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 stupid. Stupid. <laughs> stupid. I got young kids. I got a raise. And I'm like, I'm buying cars. And I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Living way over my means. Yeah. I was like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it because I felt like I wanted to. Yeah. And I realized in the year 15, 2015, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. Crazy. A huge house payment in Liebenheim, or Carlsbad. I got all these cars. I got a bunch of daughters, and they're all going crazy. They're in high school. I'm going nuts. I can't work fast enough to support all this. I'm... I don't know what to do. And then I met with this one weirdo that out in uh, Point, what is it? Uh, Point Loma? No, no, no. Up, in, uh, up by Chico, up in Chico area. This guy was like, a, he had his own sublimation house. Huh. And I was there, I worked with him for nothing. I, I Just was, to learn diff- different aspects yes, of the business? but he knew how to double sublimate Lycra surf jerseys. Hmm. So I started making WSL at that time and all the surf jerseys for everyone. But I could sublimate with one pass. I could colorize the underside and the top side by running it through once. Wow. And I was well ahead again. And this guy was an ex-Navy guy, and he was really smart. And his name was Bill something. He was really smart. And like he was so smart, I couldn't even talk to him very long. Because I was like, I don't even know where you're talking about all this chemistry stuff. But I ended up hanging out with him. He's the guy that introduced me to him. Was a, He vanished. So I go, okay, I'm going to bring you some business. I'm going to focus on what you do best. And we're going to do this. So I did that for about a year with him. 2016 is when I started to create this photo reel embroidery technology, PRET, which is basically people um, really emerging together. Hmm. So P-R-E-T. But it really means photo reel embroidery technology. Great. So, and in doing this, when you look at it, this is just one piece. This now remember, this is we're already with the same factory in India that we started Next Level Apparel. Yeah, this is a hundred percent recycled material. This is the same as like a tissue tee, but this is a thirty single, so it's got a little bit more weight, but it has no backing, and it's a hundred percent recycled. So it's recycled cotton, recycled sixty percent cotton from our table waste, and then sixty percent of that table waste we remake into a fiber but to give it that softness we use more cotton 
Then we blend it with sea ocean waste. We blend it with river stream waste that we have in India. They bring bags of it to the factory. Yep. The factory then makes that into a fiber. That fiber then becomes a longer staple length and creates a better hand for a real recycled garment. Dude. So instead of us having to buy from Reprieve and all the other you know companies that make a huge margin with their tag name, we, we have our own factory that creates our own fiber. So when we make our own fiber, it's as small as this little black pole here, right? That fiber is what we make yarn into fabric. So we, we meaning Andy, that's the one creator that put NLA on the map, was the guy that created a way to do 100% recycled shirts, but give you the hand of like an so organic, it's super buttery. Yeah. But when you look at the embroidery, everyone in the world knows embroidery for over 300 years. And embroidery so is inside. usually stiff. Yeah. You know, and I, I can name drop this clown company, this guy here. It's an inside. And that's Th this this outside. company here is like super futuristic in their own mind. But in reality, they're behind the times because they're doing what everyone's been doing. Yeah. They make the same bozo shirt that doesn't fit. And they make an okay board short, Florence, because they deserve it. Florence, I've always loved John John. Yeah, I mean, of course. I'm getting older. We he's all want people he, to succeed and, and he, carve their own own path. And he's one so, of those that you're a fan of, regardless, right. in and out of the water. Like, I, I have never met him, yeah. but I am one like anybody. I will sit and watch him on a flat screen until I can't. And until I can't. He, he, he doesn't know me, but who I do know there is Ryan Hurley. Who I was able to meet because I made I made some really beautiful surf jerseys and my name got popped around quite a bit at, at the big league. I get a phone call right before Thanksgiving from Pat O'Connell and he goes, "Hey McNaught, um, I'm like, ooh, maybe he wants to do my embroidery, wants to do my recycled shirts." He goes, "Hey, your name came across the table and said that you can make jerseys." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> it's like a no-brainer for me." I mean, here we go. We're gonna go backwards. Yeah, I'll do them for you. No problem. No problem. I'll do them. I make them, I hit their timetable, I give it to them where I make, I made $32 on the whole project. So I gave it to them at cost. Yeah. $32. I spent over $65 running back and forth from the factory to make sure that they were done right. I brought in Mark Spillary that founded Victory Wetsuits because he's got a whole sublimation plant and I didn't have to drive all the way out to like Chino to make them. So I did it right here in Huntington Beach because I love Mark from nice. my victory days. Yeah. So I gave the love back to him and he goes, I'll give it to you at our cost. He goes, I don't know anybody there. I go, I don't know anybody there, but I, I remember Pat. I kind of idled him when I was a kid. I'm like, dude, I want to do turns like you, fucking Creek. Yeah. You know, Booger loved you from Pirate Surf days, you know. And you guys all became Hurley nuts, and you guys all got paid wealthy. And the rest of us were like, how do we get in? I came from Nike, and I get shit. Right. You were know? there before. I was well before any of them, you know. And I feel like I opened the door for Bob Hurley because I said so many good things to Dick Van Dyke's son, Chris. And I go, you guys might want to take a look at this brand called Hurley. Because you guys want to get into the surf market, call this guy Bob. Here's his direct number, and it opened the door. Yeah. So what we did is I, I took this whole initiative to create a one-fiber process. And this one-fiber is made from Sea Ocean's recycled waste. That clear fiber, I created a, a heat process to expand the capillary tube and make the fiber double the size in, line, in, in size. So the CMYK drippers drip the colored ink digitally 
from the computer into the fiber, fill the color, then it moves over and it fuses, bonds it, locks it in, and then cools it all within a matter of six inches and goes direct embroidery. And that's how we create these images to bring your photos to life. So it comes from a clear or... Clear fiber. Everyone in embroidery, 300 years, has been using this color, that color. Every color you can imagine, which becomes one, yeah. a huge waste for our environment because you have to have so much water to create color, to make a fiber, to have all these different spools of thread ready available for the old-fashioned machines. I wrote out a whole patent and a whole concept, and I've been granted now in 133 countries. I'm all in America. I'm all in, in all of Europe all of Israel, and all of Canada for my patents. Nice. And I have the numbers, and they're on. Like when I show you, this is brand new development. This is 330 30 grams of hoodie recycled fleece done for Adidas. And this is embroidery. This is embroidery. That's crazy. This is totally futuristic. That just got the Portland uh, sales so meeting thin. last week. Like you know, like you said, like usually yeah. embroideries are heavy, thick. So the point, some will have like a backing, and you're right. They all have stiff backings. Yeah. When you look at traditional embroidery, they have big, thick pellon, and yeah. it's scratchy. It's irritating. This is why we created the T-shirt first, so that you could see that you have flexibility, you have the comfort level, you have no irritation. You can wear yeah. the shirt reversible and still have the same image because the fiber is all filled with color. Mm. That's what was this important so, to show to show so you can tricky. do it on a T-shirt. Anybody can do anything on fleece because it's such a heavy product. You can do it on jackets. You can do it on denim. I wanted to show we could do it on T-shirts so that you could wear it comfortably yeah. and know that it's something that's soft. And doesn't irritate you. Yeah. And that was my whole and message. And it doesn't, it, it won't doesn't flake, it won't cr it crank, it won't, the, the, it won't yeah. crack, yeah. it won't flake, and it doesn't fade. And the reason why is because we fill that tube, which is the, the fiber, we fill it all with color. So that when you go to wash it, it won't fade. It won't do anything wrong. But the catch is, everyone's like, well, how come I can't do it on my normal shirts that we buy for production? I go, if I do it on your normal shirts, you're going to have a problem. And the it's problem gonna is going to be they're going to torque, mm -hmm. they're going to pucker, and you're going to have shrinkage issues. We create our own fiber in our recycled garments where we pre-shrink our fiber. So when we go to make that into a fabric, it's already got all the correct criterion built into it. So when we embroider it, this image will stay exactly the same as what it was meant to be for fitting. Because that's the hardest thing when using cottons and stuff because you're going to get the shrinkage. Yep. So and right you now, understand that. Yeah. Adidas is... They are flipping on this whole new innovation and it's taken them five years to this day to like wake up and I've been doing stuff for them for so long that now they're like, we want to buy you. We want to have this innovation. And that's, that's where I feel that... Well, it looks super premium. It feels... <laughs> incredible like i mean this I is a 110 dollar sweatshirt retail yeah. yeah yeah which isn't uh, that much i mean with that your cost on something like this that i would sell into this into like a brand like ruka yeah. i would sell this 26 dollars of them they'll have no problem selling it with their brand yeah yeah florence could do the same you know any of the brands could do it if they have the right engineering which we have if they have the right skill set to market it and put the right athlete under it yeah. it's gonna blow up it's wow. just me picking who i want to play with and if I continue to get like ghosted where they don't want to call me back or they don't want to email me and they want to be arrogant and rude to me, then it's like, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to go back to where I belong in the corporate level and I'll bring life but, to a But product. it's not so, – you want to share with everybody. You know, I want, you want to make everyone. money, but, but also I it's, will over time. But this you is wanna... a billion-dollar invention. Yeah. Billion, not a million. This is a yeah. billion-dollar invention. And I own all the patents with my partner, Andy, in India. And we're shared. Yeah, and I have other... legal – a couple more I have samples. This one we did, did, did this for hybrid. <laughs> that's and insane. that's, you know who that is. That's Star Wars, right? Yeah. Having fun for the big box. And that was a big one at Target. 
I did this one for Rip Curl, and these guys are too cool for their own selves. They make a great wetsuit, yeah. but they, they just don't get it. And, and the problem is, is they get it. It's as soft as ever. Wow. But the what they don't, they can't, nuts. they don't have any power in America for Rip Curl. So they don't build their own apparel here anymore. They build it all in Australia, and Australia won't write me back. So I'm yeah. like, I am kind of. I love that to it's say, got a little bit of stretch, it, little, you know, like. Bling. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. So it has to. It's a it work of art. art. Like, yeah, it's. Like, I mean, it's unlimited possibility. The, the funny thing is, is the 100 foot wave guys, when you look at what I'm wearing, yeah. yeah. Bill Sharp's been in the beginning. He's like, I want you to do my apparel. Like, how like, good does that shirt look? And insane. So we're building these for HBO, but because of Bill Sharp. Yeah. And Bill Sharp's like, Mark, you don't have to sell me. I already yeah. believe you. I know you got it going on. You're in. Yeah. So I think that having him <clears throat> being like an apostle and his brand of being the owner of the actual being able to sell apparel for yeah. HBO, but through his own site, mm-hmm. we're doing stuff for the Wedge Group. My point is, is it becomes somebody that's cool and authentic. And I am blessed that he selected me to, to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He believes in this. So oh, we're doing, incredible. we're going to do yeah. the SEMA show that's coming up in H, uh, HB. We'll be there HB. too. So we're going to have our own little booth for 100 cool. Foot Wave. And we're going to sh- uh, show regular screen print that everybody does. But yeah. we're going to premium show the embroidery. Uh, but like I said before, everyone thinks of embroidery as being old, scratchy, and stiff. Yeah. This is a whole new innovation and a new level of sophistication that brings a premium value to your existing customer. Yeah. That gets them to come in and say, hey, I remember that brand. I want to buy that. Yeah. And then they become a new apostle. And they're out there spreading the good cheer and talking about something that's soft and something that is totally different than everybody that's currently wearing the same. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, it's we, graphic we're both, pop with we're a, both sales rep. Yeah, McNugget, and yeah, I want you both we working with see, me. <laughs> we don't see this kind of detail, nothing, uh, in, in what in the so, market. So no, look, I mean, there's a lot of groups out there nuts. that don't even understand. So what did I do? I adjusted and modified my machines to do cool patches that aren't stiff. They're flexible. You can put them on tour jackets. So when you look at it, look at or that. beanie or, or beanies or hats, yeah. right? So that was the whole reason is like to do something different. Yeah. So, and then what we can do with color is doing ombre fades. You can't do that with traditional embroidery. It's a start-stop process. Yeah. This is all one continuous fiber. So it's there's so no nice. starting and stopping. So yeah, instead of having highs that. and lows and yeah, all that, you, you can don't keep get it all yeah. smooth. It and looks like a print. That's what yeah. I mean. And that's like I'm bummer. looking at his shirt and I keep going back to your shirt and I'm yeah. like, that's what that hurts. would be a really just good quality print, but it's in freaking embroidery. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bulk. But like you said, it's so thin and there's no backing because you're not tying knots everywhere and like, dude, like it's pretty rad. So congratulations, Adidas likes it. Yeah, look at that. Welcome. I mean, Billabong, they Adidas is pretty awesome. Even DC, I did a cool one for them, but they don't they don't buy. No, nobody knows. Yeah, they're all they still. They're. They, I think they will eventually. Yeah. Because, look, I'm not here to take away their existing, yeah. you know, distributors There's, and and manufacturers that no. they have. I'm this trying to give them a new look, sophistication. Yeah. This price correctly to elevate the game and bring their current customers back to buying something that's fresh because they believe in the brand that this place. And that's what these brands focus on so hard is branding and imagery and artwork and stuff. And it's not just a logo. Like yeah. they're incorporating yeah, like... Look at, you always look at the new. detail for Fila. Yeah. Look at, you, can see his, you can see his face. That's crazy. Oh, wow. Because I mean, you could... 
You, you know. put those on your hat, you know? Yeah. There's different <laughs> embellishments. Good one. For... But yeah, like, you know, like another there's going to be a price point of, you know, a printed fleece. And then there's like a custom fleece. And then there's like kind of a hybrid, which is more of like specialty. You know, there's all these different price points and there's a, a place for this and that. Yeah, it just realm. goes to show yeah. that we've all evolved. And same with t-shirts, we've evolved. And that's where I was a great part of it. You're getting this, but it's got a, the backstories yeah. equally as, as and impressive. And we're, we're, we are important because we're not just doing something that's conventional and it's putting a lot of pollutions yeah we're doing something that's environmentally correct and we're reusing products that we've already used for other projects and remaking that into another fabric and then correctly building it as a recycled repurposed movement yeah and that's what i'm trying to do with pred is just basically bring people together and that's been my hardest thing to do so i thank you for giving me a chance because no this is i, this I think is... it's time that people give yeah. this product an opportunity to say hey is your brand really that strong? Yeah. If it is that strong, then why don't you show something that nobody has access to? Because not everyone can do this. And a lot of people in the big box that I've been working with, which is like the bio worlds, the hybrids, the mad engines, and the other like um, massive prints, yeah. they all try to take my samples and go behind the scene and try to reinvent it and do it. And they're like, we can't. Yeah. Like, I know you can't, but I laugh at you for wasting all your money. Yeah. Just work with me. I'm not yeah. going to kill you. For me to make a quarter... A unit, it's nothing. Yeah. But I need to do like truckloads to make, you know, enough Money. to pay for the house. You yeah. Know, which is already paid for. Well, not yet, but. But yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> like, you know, it, it it's definitely where everybody could do it. And it, it just comes back to the artwork that yeah. it differentiates the logo, the marketing. But like this back, the, I, what I love is regardless if this didn't have that backstory of, you know, the upcycle, recycle aspect, it'd be, be fucking rad. Like wow, that's yeah. That even is though it has a recycle, but now you got that component to it. Is this like it should be a no brainer within our like three industry that that is promoting yes. you know sustainability, sustainability yeah. and moving that movement. You know, yeah. like because that's why I think the guy like John Moore at Outer Known. I yeah. love what Kelly thought of and took a took a chance. Yeah, I would like them to take a chance, even though they don't have to have a big logo, but they can definitely have something with the script. And there's ways of creating fades because everyone will wear a brand name. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to have a big image, but yeah. there are certain customers that want an image of maybe your face or Kelly's face. Not this guy's. Mm, I, I, you know. He's, pre he's pretty I'm beautiful. I, I, it's like <laughs> I met with Mitchell and Nest, and yeah. they do a lot of business in the NHL, NBA. Yeah. If I put a Lakers guy's face on here, well, this is oh, name one of them, he may wear it for a photo shoot. But how many hundreds of thousands of people will wear it because it's got his face on it? Yeah. Like if I got Nike to do Jordan's face, it'll blow up. Blow up. And that's the whole reason why we wanted to create a photo real embroidery so you could have something that yeah. would translate to Dude. selling a photo. That like details, yeah. Insane. There's different ways of doing it. It's all different. The key is we used to start out with one stitching path. Now I got 98 stitching paths. So when you look at this one that we did of this guy, which you guys know, soccer player, Massey. Massey yeah. Yeah. But look at what we did for detail. Look at all the different stitching paths that were added in. This is just being embroidery. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the sun, dude. It's way ahead of the times. Yeah. And it won't fade. No, and it, and and it's it won't not shrink, shrink and it won't torque. It won't pucker. And, and it's not going to rash your freaking no, chest. It won't tear you up. It's yeah. like something I've, I tripped because it looks like... Photo to you almost. It looks like photography. Yeah. But it's... Like that, I mean, that's, that's all. Hand. That's like, look all. at his hand yeah. and muscle. Like, 
It's detail. all detail. Yeah. Thank it's, you. It's freaking heavy. It's it's. That's it's, why you guys got to. I mean, your art is 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 cartoon art. That's yeah. simple to do. Yeah. But we would go in and create crazy stitching paths to show dimensions to give yeah. you parts of the art to make it more 3D. Yeah. And when you give a real photo, the key yeah. is to capture the detail. Dude. And that's what's... Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, my Our, wife's calling. Yeah. Sea Ocean. Yeah, it's S-E-A and then underscore capital Ocean and then underscore S. That's how I am on if Instagram. Any, if any... I have a new website finished next month. Brand needs... Yeah, help me help. One me. of the coolest freaking innovations in garment, garmento. Treatment. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, like, and I I started at the grassroots. And it I could be it. as simple as just a clean yes. logo name, and then something as intricate as like, I, what the, like this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. like incredible. Well, I think we plugged your, your company enough. Hey, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm very thankful. Let's go back to surfing. Okay. Quick little um, wrap up of surf. Yeah. That's what we do. We're surfing. So what nerds. are you riding now, McNugget? I am, honestly, I've got uh, a whole room dedicated, my work, my workout room at home. My wife finally let me keep all the boards in the house, set in the garage. I got a whole nice room set up with uh, weight training, uh, Peloton bikes, and then all my boards. So I've got all big wave, all the way to little boards. And Matt, so it's like JLB's garage, nothing like that, <laughs> right? Or, or, or Kailani's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I see those. I'm like, <laughs> they're like every little tiny speck of measurements are just so altered epic. a little bit. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, just to have 20 boards in there, I'm very proud because I have like six boards of all my big wave boards I've kept yeah. from my days of Baja Malibu, yeah, of the heavyweight boards, and then all the performance boards that have been um, from Matt. So, what's your go to right now, like on an average California? I, I'm hooked on four fins. Okay. And I I switch back and forth from fours and quads. And mm. those are all Matt's boards. Yeah. Quads. I have one from Steve Ford that I rode in Costa Rica. It's a 5.2. And it was a humdinger of a fast board. It was a quad. <laughs> and it just moved super lickety quick. So you could turn yeah. anytime you wanted. You could ride in a barrel. You could go high in a barrel. You could get down low. Yeah. And then when I came back, I'm like, okay, I want Matt to get me some boards so... To get him to shape your board is almost like I can go to the dentist and get a new tooth. <laughs> He's too busy. So I just kind of, you know, like anyone, I'll like write to you through a text and say, hey, I'm interested. Yeah. I was blown away that he responded and said, yeah, I'll get your board. I'm awesome. Like, I'm like, you're going to shape me one? He goes, uh, you want me to? And I go, no, I just want something you already have. Yeah. Let me just come in and pick stuff off the rack. Yeah. So I went into the factory in San Clo and many and I got to pick. He's like, I got this one from this guy, this one from this guy. And some of the, I got one from Griffin, which we all know who his last name is, five years ago that Griffin just didn't like. It turned out to be one of the magic boards that I used at Rosarito on a 15 to 20 foot day that Troy Eckers was my jet ski driver for the whole week. Yeah. And he wasn't even serving. He was serving, but he's like, dude, you're going. And it was macking. He's like, you're going to get all the best shots. Sure enough. And then this year, he got put on the map. Yeah. So I'm like, about time that guy got credit because he rips. He's so rips. He, and he's super humble. And yeah. He's oh, he's so like, incognito. He's like, oh, and just chill. And just hang. I, that's yeah. where I come back from. I wish Vulcan would have just like, dude, you need to go over here. You know? Yeah. yeah. My spirit is always there for, I'm like a brand connoisseur. Yeah. And I just want to be part of the family. And I embrace what I love. Yeah, you like the team. I, I love surfing. 
I love the ocean. Yeah. And I want it to be there for my daughter's grandchildren, which are my, my her, their children, my grandchildren. Yeah. I have five grandchildren right now. What? And yes. I have two, I have three daughters. One daughter still hasn't produced one, but she's gonna. She just got married. <laughs> and, and my wife is super golden. And so to be together with her for 22 years and have all my daughters and all, it's really, it's cool. So yeah. I'm building my dream to yeah. still stay part of the ocean, and That's I want to keep it cool. And I've got a lot of photos that you guys know of, but if you can help me um, by spreading good cheer, yeah. Um, I know you're both salespeople, and if you want me to make stuff for you to give out and, and help out, yeah. Um, I would like to welcome you aboard somehow, some way. But yeah. I'm happy to be in your presence. It really means a lot because I don't. I haven't seen you in 30 years. Yeah, if if, long, if, if, if not longer. Yeah. And you, I bumped for, into probably in like at least seven or eight years. Yeah, it's been a while. And it, every time I see, you, it's just a quick. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah. yeah. But to be able to spend this kind of quality time, yeah. I'm very blessed. I think you're in your S class, maybe, or prison. Yeah. High, high five. And that's all done now. <laughs> now I'm in a little tiny Jeep, and I love it because it's, you know, like I got shit for driving German cars. But the end result is I love yeah. I love luxury. So instead of me having to put it under my seat and sit in it, which is nothing wrong with it, no. I would rather utilize the monies to do something that's going to be better for one, our environment, two, for our movement of our youth, and three, to have my own brand. And yeah. that's what I'm praying that yeah. we'll connect with the universe. Epic. Well, congrats. And you know, you. it's been a obviously a emotional, bumpy, successful, yeah. down, <laughs> amazing, but that's life, right? Like, yeah. You know, like, you know. Life's I never got arrested to go to jail for a drug issue, and, yeah. and I'm proud of that. I, I don't have any... I mean, I, I, I mean not so but, much with this guy. I got arrested <laughs> once, bro. Well, I, yeah, for speeding? Drunk in public. Oh, well, that was having a good time. <laughs> Lennon, stay here. Sorry. <laughs> Lennon, stay here. I'm going to go back. Come back. And he's handcuffed. I'm like, I just turned, just turned, I turned around. around. Yeah, turned around and he's arrested? <laughs> what the what? Yeah, uh, you're not cutting that out either. Ne- never again. Yeah, yeah. Long Beach, there. Yeah. Well, Mark McNugget McNaught, Sea Oceans. Uh, thanks for sharing. I mean, we didn't go deep into all your stories, but your stories that we did here compelling, are so amazing. Thank all you. the brands and all the little things you were yeah. involved in was is well, really there's more behind each of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I want to caution to my own wind and yeah. not give too many details because one of those could be my future partner or a, or an opportunity to say <laughs> hey, hi, you know, and still be you able le- to you say le- hi. Yeah, yeah, you learn and 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 forgive, and you know, yeah. you move forward. I'm totally beyond that now. Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. And see for something. all the, like we said, man, for all the companies that. Uh, People that make decisions that listen to our podcast, check him you guys out. Guys, got to check out. This is incredible. Like Mark new, innovative Nugget stuff. Not C S E A underscore oceans underscore and then, S, and then, and then the S at the end. You got to underscore and then put an S. Yeah. Otherwise, you get some prostitute that went in and did the name Sea Oceans <laughs> and like crush me. And she well, has no followers, dude. Thank you. you. She does. Thanks. Yep. Peace. Peace. Wait. Bonsai Bulls, hands down the best bulls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bulls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, 
for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams, for our awesome artwork, and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.